welcome to Moralia Python Radio with your hosts, Eric Burke and Owen McIntyre. Well, I can't say good evening because it's not good evening, so welcome to Morelli Python yeah, Radio. Yeah, going to mess weird, us up because, <laughs> I mean, I, I end the show with, like, good night. I don't know what the hell I'm going to – I'm going to spend the whole show thinking about that. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, in today's show, we're going to be talking to the to the guys from Herptological Highlights. If you haven't heard this uh, reptile podcast, uh, I definitely recommend you uh, – find it on uh, iTunes. You can go to Herp Highlights. Uh, I think, wait, their email or their website is herphighlights.podbean.com. You can see all the episodes that they have. I, I know it's on Stitcher and um, also on iTunes. Um, Rob, what do you download it on? Because I know you have Android, right? Beyond, yeah. Yeah, Beyond Pod, which is similar to Stitcher, but I prefer okay. it. Uh, so uh, by, by the way, Rob Stone's it. here. You know, we oh, should yeah, probably yeah, throw yeah. that out there. Hey, yeah. <laughs> we were trying to cover every uh, single uh, time zone that we could in we one episode. <laughs> so, um, so we'll be doing that. But um, yeah, th- those guys, um, they, they basically take a, a topic every week or no, every two weeks, right? Is their show. And um, I can't imagine the amount of work that goes into doing, I mean, I've, I complain about our show and the work that goes into it. I can't imagine having to dissect. <laughs> Read scientific papers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And basically, they break it down, and, the, and then they talk about the, the thing. I think, you know, for people that are listening to this show, the absolute – my favorite show was Bodacious Boas. And um, yep. I can't remember what episode uh, where they talk about constriction, and it just blew my mind. It's just amazing. We'll get into that a little bit. Um Rob served us up some clips so we can hear it. Um, and then the other one that I really liked was when they talked about, I don't remember what episode it was, Rob, you probably do. Um, the, uh, the Viper with the, uh, the spider tail, but what is yeah, it called? So there's a couple oh, I love those. Iranian uh, <laughs> spider tail yeah. Viper, something, something along those lines. Yeah. So it appeared twice. Um, once in that bodacious Bowers show. And then I actually pulled the clip from the, Episode eight, Deceptive Snakes. So that one's we're gonna have some of that action in this too. Yeah. So the cool thing, and we'll get these guys on in one second. But the cool thing about that um, in particular is, is that that's a species that I didn't even know existed. I didn't even know there was mm-hmm. such a thing. And I remember I was driving my car, listening to the episode, and you know I'm like, I gotta look this up because they're talking about how the, uh, you know, the, the the tail mimics a spider, and I'm like, oh, okay, you know, whatever. I guess I guess it's gonna look. I mean, it looks. <laughs> You're like a spider freaked me out. I, I, yeah. I, you know, I well, and the weird Googled part it. too is that they get it as they grow. Like they're yeah. not born like that. They develop it over time. So it's really weird. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Totally. But I don't love spiders, so it's pretty creepy actually watching the video. It, that is someone's nightmare. It's like it is yeah. a snake spider. It's like that is straight out of some people's nightmares. So. Yeah. And I love so, it. It's uh, so cool. So yeah. So. You know, again, that, that's just a glimpse into uh, into their, um, you know, into their podcast. But, the you know, me and Rob were talking before and, you know, we don't really know anything about them themselves because really they focus on, you know, just reading the papers and going through them and stuff. So uh, I think that it would be a good idea to get to uh, to know these guys and, you know, what's their background and, uh, you know, et cetera. So. 
that's what we're going to talk about today. So, right? Cool. Yes. All right, let's get to it. All right. <clears throat> Welcome, no more Tom and Ben. <laughs> How are you guys doing? Very well, thank you. Good evening. Yeah. Good. Glad we can well, be on the show. Yeah, we're good. Thanks for having us on. It's big Thanks yeah. for such a nice, kind intro as well. It's really good to hear you guys are listening to it. It's kind of surreal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, uh, we, we, we definitely dig that kind of scientific reptile, of course, stuff. So, yeah, um, definitely yeah, the love cool this. Thing, the cool thing is, is like, I'm, I'm so glad, with, you know, with the podcast world now, there's just such a uh, opportunity for these little niche of different you know, uh, podcast when it comes to reptiles. And I'm glad to see that, you know, obviously we're like a keeping and breeding type of thing. And you guys are, you know, from the scientific type of world. And it's like, it's just awesome, you know, cause yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's great. We, me and Ben have had the same discussion actually. Like, uh, although we're both broadly speaking about, reptiles, um, we're kind of like you say, like we're partitioning the niche uh, and mm-hmm. it works really well. And uh, yeah, no, there's not too much overlap. And honestly, there's like more and more and more reptile podcasts. Um, and I don't know about you guys, but I listen to pretty much all of them. Um, yep. And yeah, there's not really like a finite amount of reptile podcasts I can consume. So the more the merrier, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank Every God. Every time there's a reptile podcast, one of the other ones have to go because I won't listen exactly. to it. Exactly. No and, and I can't. I can't listen to us, so there has to be more things out there besides us because, no, I will not listen to myself talk. So, yeah. thank God <laughs> so there are others now. Yeah, I have to listen to it because we, we don't go out live like you guys. So, we, ah. well, we take it in turns. We take it in turns to edit. So, one of us will be listening to the whole podcast before it goes out. And, yeah, it's just you on the bend, hearing your own voice for two hours. Yeah, I don't like it's it. Like, <laughs> nice. Punishing. Very punishing. Idiot. Yeah, it is. Over and over terrible. again. Um, Well, and the other cool thing that uh, I really like about your guys' show is just that despite being scientific, you do it, you present it in a really relatable way and then all sort of all the fun wordplay and sort of just having fun with it, not being, you know, some of the other stuff can tend to be, for my taste, too serious, you know, so I think you guys do a great Mm -hmm. job of presenting a ton of great information, but not being uh, too serious about yourselves or about the material. So what's Uh, Rob's name what Rob is saying is is that you make it digestible for stupid guys like me and Owen. <laughs> well, the man, layman, sure, yeah. yeah. Uh, you can hear us trying to get our heads around it, and that was kind of like the whole point of the podcast. Is like we, wanted to, we wanted to do more reading, and we wanted to discuss this stuff, and we kind of were anyway, so we thought, you know, let's, let's kind of have, have this platform where we can chat about stuff. It benefits us because we're forced to learn it if we're going to try and regurgitate it in a vague, vaguely sensible format. Um, so, yeah, it, it's a good thing, I think. Right. And you've always got to remember that we're being slightly careful with the papers we pick and not <laughs> delving into something that's describing the intricacies of some venom somewhere that no one's <laughs> going to understand. And it's going to take something dangerous <laughs> to try and understand ourselves. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit, right. of, little bit of uh, behind the scenes to make things... You know, one easy paper, one more difficult paper. Don't overload ourselves, but uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we are know working. Like, we're often after we finish recording one episode. Oh, sorry, go on. Are we are we jumping ahead? No, 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 no. Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, like, often um, after we finish recording a podcast, uh, we'll usually sort of decide on a topic for the next episode. 
Um, yeah, there's a lot of like skimming through papers and just being like, whoa, okay, yeah, there's no way I'm going to get around my head around this kind of niche modeling. Let's just move on, do something a little bit more simple. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I was going to ask before <laughs> Owen into an introduction of you guys, but like, how do you go about picking the paper? Is it something that you're interested in that that at that at that time? I know, like for me, when I'm doing a topic on on our podcast, it'll be something that I'm into at the moment, you know, and hmm. how do you guys go about it? I think it depends on how much time we have in the, in the coming two weeks, right? If we've got okay. a, got a nice empty couple of weeks, we can put something a bit more exotic and a bit more outside our comfort zone. So that'd be, I don't know, probably something amphibian based or, or I don't know, salamanders. Cause I've only ever seen one salamander in my life in the wild. So they're completely <laughs> foreign to me. And then if you get, Oh, things are going to be busy in the next couple of weeks. We'll pick something closer to home, you know, snakes, how they move, what they're doing, habitat choice. So a bit more down to earth and in line with what we're doing every day. So you've got that overlap between your current research and the reading you need to do to the podcast. So you already have some of that background knowledge that you can just, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that paper, read it last week for another purpose and throw that in as as an aside or whatever. Yeah. And now, you'll hear that in ev- in any episode where we talk about either king cobras or snake movement, you'll hear Ben kind of like shift up a gear and go like next level in his knowledge. <laughs> uh, and, yeah, or cane so toads. We, There's always, yeah. always that opportunity to shove cane toads in there. Cane toads are the bane of my life, but yeah, you do. <laughs> they're the bane of a lot of people's lives, man. They're, they're tough guys. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's fair. Cool. All right. Well, Eric, ahead, do you Owen. want to play one clip first? Well, Go ahead. I was going to say, do you want to play one of those clips first to introduce the to introduce the show a little bit, and then we can hop into the outline? Do it. Do it. What do, you want, me, what do you want me to play, Rob? You tell yeah. me the clip. Um, let's do the other stuff out of the bodacious boas. So the one that says okay. the other stuff, not the constriction one. Gotcha. All right, I'll play. All right. This is animals taking into account others' positions and behavior, but not necessarily communicating with them, and also not targeting the same individual prey item. They're they're going for different items. It would not work if two snakes tried to eat the same thing. They would end up with one snake accidentally eating another snake. Mm, So it might work for one snake. Oh yeah, one snake gets a double whammy, (laughs) and the other snake's just like, oh man. (laughs) It certainly wouldn't be something that the snakes would be repeating. Yeah, I'm just picturing a really grim version of Lady and the Tramp. Oh, where <laughs> the spaghetti, the whole thing goes in. Goodness me. Terrible. What an image. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> that as, weird, if, as if a rat's heart exploding wasn't bad enough. Now we've got Lady completely engulfing Tramp. Oh, Childhood. Destroyed. Yeah, yeah, terrible. Crocodilians use tools for hunting. That title, you could replace crocodilians with orangutans and people <laughs> probably wouldn't bat an eyelid. So these crocodiles have bow and arrows, is that right? Yeah, they're just, <laughs> they're just capping fish left and right. They love it. <laughs> but no, this is, this is uh, rather fantastic. These guys are a couple of species doing this. We've got mugger crocodiles once again, and we have got American alligators. And what these crocodiles are doing, these guys are going for egrets and other sort of wading birds that nest around wetland areas. And what they're doing is sitting there in the top of the water and laying sticks along their their snouts. Yeah. And what will happen is the egret comes down, oh yeah, I'm building a nest, grab some sticks, bam, got by the croc, job done, get 
game over for the egret. And you think, oh yeah, it's just fine, it's just sticks happen to land on the crocodile's snout and it's taking advantage of it. Mm. Yeah, I'd, I'd be inclined to agree. We're all sceptical, as we said, when it comes to big animals that look like dinosaurs using their guiding <laughs> wits. Whether that's fair or not, we are. But you look in the timing of it, and it really seems to happen all around very early breeding season for the egrets, around this nest bit breeding. That's when it occurs most, and when you see it most. Other time of year, eh, not so much. And it's not like these rivers are filled with sticks either. The rest of the river, eh, you don't see many sticks. They're all stuck on the crocodile's snout. Mm. Yes, it needs more investigation to really just hammer home, yeah, this is something that they know what they're doing. But my gosh, it's very interesting, and I don't know, I'm, I'm convinced that these crocodiles might know more than we, we give them credit. I mean, I've just seen a photo of it, and uh, it's quite funny. <laughs> There's just this crocodile sat in some green water, haphazardly having got three sticks, like literally just resting. It looks so hilariously obvious to me that that is a crocodile. Yeah. But obviously to an egret, if you're hell-bent on finding a stick... You've got mate, to make a nest. Your mate's You've back at the nest mouth. waiting. You're, yeah. You don't want to look a fool. So you come back with some sticks. Or in this case, oh, the next photo is really grisly. It's just a a bunch of feathers and a leg sticking out of a crocodile's mouth. Yeah, alligator's mouth, but yeah. Oh, I should have known. Look at those teeth. Yeah. <laughs> Fool. Boyidae epicrates inornatus, now called, as we know, Chylobothrus inornatus. So, snake without heat pits and is also undecorated. Which I think is very harsh. <laughs> <laughs> I really do. I think calling any snake inornatus dramatically unfair. That one in the photo, there's a, there's a photo of one in the paper, and that one is actually a hypomelanistic one, so it's actually lighter than most. It's a bit of a cheat, really, because, yeah, you're like, yeah, that is completely undecorated. It, it hardly has a pattern. It's almost untextured. I think you're being grossly unfair. It's a beautiful snake. <laughs> I didn't say it wasn't beautiful. <laughs> but in ornate makes me think. I guess, I guess maybe it's more to do with, like, pattern intricacies. Well, think, it think about it the other way. It's not decadent. Uh, okay, yeah, maybe that's less offensive. Yeah. Nevertheless, I still think it's, you could have come up with something better. It's a refined snake. Yeah. I it knows what it likes, and it's plain and silvery. They found that the boas, when they hit and took a bat, had an average handling time of around 12 minutes, which if you remember back to one of the bowback papers, the 2012, I think. That was how long boa constrictors approximately were taking to so-called handle a rat. Yeah, as in with its, with its heart rate or not, and it matches up superbly. So you've got a wild and laboratory experiment, the green, which, well, it's pure gold. It's wonderful. It's exactly what you want. <laughs> I do have a slight bugbear with the use of the term handling for a snake eating something, given that... They don't have hands. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there again, what would you call it instead? I, uh, I've got nothing. Slithering <laughs> time... <laughs> Manipulation time. Manipulation time. It's horrible though, it sounds a bit... It sounds like they're making the bats <laughs> vote for someone they didn't want to. <laughs> yeah, like, it's got some weird connotations that... Yeah, maybe maybe handling time's there for a reason. I think handling time is just universally used. Yeah, okay. Alright, I'll, I'll let this one lie. It might even fall to the researchers to organise, if they're going to release photos of a new species which looks really cool, it might even be one of their obligations to capture a few and set up captive breeding and have them Ooh, available. Gosh, that... I can love that in principle, but wow. 
same genus as the species that was completely extirpated. Um, and they just said straight up, no, we're not telling you where they are. Um, obviously, if you were studying Gonosaurus in China, you could ask, and I'm sure they'd be forthcoming. And then you post the wrong information and have the police waiting in wait. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> All we need is a cop car and loads of burgers, and we can do a sting. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite part of that whole thing was the grim lady and the tramp. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of graphic. <laughs> oh, man, yeah. That was awesome. That, that, but that's a little that's taste serious. of the show. Oh, yeah, thanks, guys. Yeah, thank you for subjecting me to my own voice. Yeah, see, we just talked about this, and then we made you do it. It's like, yeah, yeah. it's great. Oh, uh, no. Cool. no well, nice we only have five more. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I look uh, forward to it. We know uh, how to torture people on this show, so it's... Uh, <laughs> like, come on, Morelia Python Radio for Angel punishment. Mhm. Like uh, water torture. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but no, that was uh that was awesome. So, um I guess what we'll do now is uh obviously I want you guys to tell us a little bit more about yourselves. Um you know, uh obviously we know who you are. <laughs> so, let's um let's get into uh you know, what are you keeping right now? You know, what's uh What's the collection looks like, or you know, uh, well, even, you know a little bit of background on you guys. Say reptiles, yeah. How yeah. They get into them? Yeah, background about reptiles and how'd you got how'd you guys get into them? Okay, cool. Um, shall I go first, Ben? I think my route's a little more traditional than yours. Yeah, yeah. Go with yours, and then I'll throw the curveball. Cool. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, mine's yeah. I mean, I listen to you guys' podcast, and everyone says more or less a similar thing. Um, and yeah, mine story is exactly alike. Uh, when I was really, really little, I was completely obsessed with dinosaurs. Um, you know, I was constantly playing with dinosaur toys, consuming everything I could about dinosaurs. Um, that kind of moved on. Uh, it's actually a really specific moment in my life where it, it sort of became all about snakes. Um, I was five, five years old, and I uh, went to a garden center. Don't know if you guys have garden centers in the states, but it's just like a plant shop, and they sell pets and stuff. Um, and yeah, I was there with my grandparents, and uh, we were section looking in the cages looking at the snakes and stuff and uh one of the employees uh had a corn snake out and uh so my granddad tells me the guy asks me he's like do you want to hold the snake and um I was pretty nervous I think at the time I was like what is this um so yeah the guy managed to persuade me put it in my neck and I was just completely enraptured by this animal um just having had no experience with snakes prior to that just completely mesmerized by it um and that was kind of the in my life I think so at five years old I was then completely obsessed with snakes um every time I went to the pet shop like my mum would let me get a book on snakes so I was just mm-hmm. reading, reading and reading and reading and um I think I was pestering my parents for a snake from the age of five and then they'd always said by the time I was 14 I'd be allowed to get a snake and I used to whittle them down through like you know various trip shops trips to pet shops and stuff every weekend and uh yeah ended up getting a corn snake called Taz for my 10th birthday um, which obviously was awesome. And then kind of a steady stream, more snakes followed. I used to go to a um, really cool, there's a reptile club, Thames and Chilton Reptile Club. Um, so my mum used to take me there once a month. Uh, and that was really cool. There was just loads of, loads of keepers there, loads of like knowledgeable people who kind of, I think they they liked it when kids would go along because like obviously my enthusiasm was completely bottomless. So I'd always have chats to, 
some of them worked in Zoom and things like that. So, yeah, I just had this kind of um, real base of knowledge to tap into um, and combine that with sort of all the reading and reptile shops and things like that. Uh, it kind of never went away. Um, and, yeah, so basically from a very young age, I've just been completely obsessed. That's awesome. So um, what is what does it look like now? I mean, are you keeping now? Do you have oh, yeah, various yeah. reptiles? Okay, so what do you got yeah, now? Yeah, so <laughs> I, haven't, I, haven't, I haven't, I mean, compared to you guys, I haven't got loads. I've got okay. six snakes. Um, so I keep, I have one of my first two corn snakes. She's open, so I've had her since I was 11, so she's 16 now. Um, wow. Yeah, I've got a boa constrictor constrictor, like a true uh, guy on the red tail. A big, big old snake as well. He was a 13th birthday present. Um, he's called Bam. He's huge. Uh, and then I've, yeah, I've got a Bredels, Bredels python, uh, another big snake I've had since a teenager. Uh, so that's actually a Morelia python. So I do have a Morelia python. Yay! Uh, <laughs> yeah. Albeit, albeit you win some sort of prize, right? Yeah, it works. <laughs> yeah. Maybe another Bredels python. Uh, but yeah, no, like uh, I've got yeah the Bredels python. I've got one Solomon Island ground boa, the Candoya pulsonii. Um, and I have a, a variable king snake called Darwin. Um, I think that's awesome. six. Yeah, yeah. So kind of a modest, but um, a few different things in there. Yeah. That's awesome. So did you parlay it to kind of go through? Um, did you kind of go to school for reptiles, or did you kind of just stick with? Because I know you guys are a little bit uh, further along with your reptile education than say myself or Eric. So. Oh, right, so uh, yeah, I actually forgot to mention I also have an albino boa. Shouldn't leave her out, but yeah, so yeah, she's cool. Um, so yeah, so I actually originally um, like to well, obviously in school I didn't really I wasn't really all about school when I was younger. So um, I ended up I mean I got okay grades coming out of school, but uh, I wasn't unfortunately I didn't really work hard enough to do well in biology. So I ended up dropping out of biology. Um, so I never got an A level, which is like the 18 year old qualification in biology. And so I kind of went, I kind of like actually went away from snakes. I originally wanted to be a vet because that was kind of the only outlet I could think of to study reptiles. And I realized that I wasn't probably academic enough um, to become a vet. So in the end, I actually went to university and studied geography, um, which was, you know, it was, it was great. Fun. I really enjoyed it. Um, but while I was there, I did a few modules in ecology. Um, and that kind of got my head turning about um, like sort of actually, studying snakes properly um and then after university i went traveling around southeast asia for a little while and while i was there i saw a few snakes in the wild and uh, maya she was going back to university to study a master's and i was like well there's no reason why i can't go back do a master's and kind of focus on this thing which has been like the main obsession of my life since i was a child so i went back and um i studied applied ecology for a master's degree um and while i was there i really cool academics um a guy called Jan Stapala who has published a book on chameleons which is excellent called Mountain Dragons um and some like really really knowledgeable people researching color change and um yeah we ended up setting up a project investigating uh, color change in flat-necked chameleons chamelea dilepis um which is like a Tanzanian chameleon um and yeah it just kind of went from there um that was an awesome experience we had eight chameleons in this um little controlled lab and we were putting them in various arenas trying to get them to change color and match their surroundings or, or match their patterns to the surroundings 
um, which was just really great fun. And just working with chameleons was really fun in of itself, um, even though they absolutely hated me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> chameleons are the most, like, they're just violent. They just really don't like humans. <laughs> it's like, yeah. It's like, okay, no one ever not sees even... that coming. Yeah. No yeah, one ever sees an they... ang- angry chameleon. Yeah, but they're so amicable. They've got these, like, comical faces. They've got these little other mitts for hands. You just think, oh, these are going to be nice. <laughs> these are going to be nice guys. No. You couldn't be more wrong. They're horrible. They bite you. They like, I swear, three quarters of a chameleon's behaviors are designed around being pissed off. So, yeah. Um, yeah, that was fun. Uh, and then, anyway, once. Yeah, man, getting into it. So once I finished uh, the master's degree, um, that's kind of probably the next step of the story where uh, me and Ben met and we did some other stuff. Um, so I won't go into that just yet. We'll let Ben go. Or maybe it kind of ties into yeah. Ben's stuff. So maybe I'll pass it over to Ben. Yeah. Yeah, we can. Uh, yeah, ben, yeah. What got you into reptiles and all that fun stuff? <laughs> so. Well, I'm a little bit of a, yeah, I'm late to the game. I mean, I've only really, really been doing stuff with reptiles for the past, I know, three and a bit years now. Um, oh, okay. Like, throughout childhood, I was sort of generically sort of academic, doing maths and chemistry and things like that through school years. And, uh, yeah, a bit of, bit of dinosaur fan like Tom. I mean, I grew up on the south coast of England, which has some of the best fossils in right. all of the UK. It's absolutely stunning. So there's always been that in the background. And, you know, mm-hmm. love of animals is pretty, pretty natural anyway. Um, but in terms of what I wanted to do, I was completely, I think it was a little bit of a double-edged sword was, yeah, I could do a lot of stuff academically. So I had a lot of choice, but then I also found it difficult to choose anything. So worm my way along, not really knowing, did exactly what Tom did and did a degree in geography because you, well, if you do geography, you can pretty much do anything and you work it out, work out what you want to do later. Mm. Um, that was that was all right. I mean, I ended up doing a dissertation looking at pollen that was trapped in uh, peat bogs in Iceland and think, oh, this is great. I'll just do this. Paleoecology. This is, this is awesome. Learning about the past using, using mud. <laughs> Why not? Um, <laughs> but it turns out there's not, there's not too, many, too many jobs and uh, positions looking like that. So you have a couple full, full through and you're, and you're looking for other stuff to do. I was pretty fortunate to have a bit of money saved up, but I, during my university, I went out to uh, southern Madagascar for a month uh, down cool. in the Spiny Forest. And, oh, boy, that was like, talk about a formative experience. That was, okay, this is what conservation is. There are people doing this. This is a career you can have, just learning about animals in, in places that we don't know anything about. Mm, yeah, I could probably do this. Uh, yeah, I can get right. behind this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, okay. exactly. Twist my arm. Yeah, you know, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> so sort of come back to that. Try and twist my geography degree as best I can to ecology and conservation. That's so cool. Yep. All right. Go sort of fine with a bit of the paleoecology stuff in the background. Uh, out of uni. Okay. What do I do now? Okay. I got to. I got to get a job. And by sheer dumb luck, this is where Tom and I meet. Um, there's a there's a position for King Cobra radio tracker. Like, well, that sounds downright awesome. Uh, it's a bit of a long shot. I've got no background in ecology. I don't know what anything to do with radio telemetry, to be honest. And by pure dumb luck, I mean I I don't know. I must have got real lucky in the, in, in the interviews because 
halfway through they were cutting out with internet we hardly got a proper conversation going but next thing i know a month later i'm in thailand being trained to track king track kings and oh. i haven't, haven't really looked back since i mean i did what was it six six seven months out here doing that and getting unbelievably into it and yeah just learning everything i possibly could think okay i've got to i've got to continue this this is this is fantastic. I've completely fallen for reptiles, snakes, whole shebang. You know, if it's, if it's just general herpetofauna, yep, all right, that'll do. Conservation, these guys, you can't uh, study snakes and not be completely taken by them. Like, you just, they're absolute pure underdogs. And if there's anybody that needs help, it's animals that are just hated by everybody or so many people, it seems. I remember the, one of the first... I don't know, first two, three days I was in Thailand, went Tractor King, on the way there we see people swerving across the highway trying to run over this uh, Burmese python. And it, it just just blew my mind that people would uh. be going so far out of their way to just kill things. I mean, this python was already dead, it was just a corpse on the road, but oh boy, people were trying to make sure it was done. Uh. We get back, back from tracking the king and... Uh, there was a rescue call for a um, one of the common cobras. What was it? Uh, Naja, uh, Naja Kalfia. Um, so that's the first ever time seeing a cobra, and that was in an absolute state after being rescued and stressed all the hell and hissing and oh, absolutely furious. And that has a lasting mm-hmm. impact. I think two days later we get another rescue call in, another Burmese python that had been caught up in a fishing net and just no. had. It was absolutely shredded down one side. So we stitched it up, cleaned it up, and got it back out. You know, these guys are pretty tough. We've seen them go through unbelievable levels of injury. Had ones run over by trucks, and they've just bounced back. Absolutely incredible animals. Jesus. But that was, that was it. That first week or so of seeing that level of, uh, I guess, snake persecution, you can't turn your back on that, not easily. This is a problem. This is something that I'm going to work to solve. And uh, yeah, basically, I had to actually jump back to the UK after I did that to uh, get a master's myself. Um, mm-hmm. Well, actually, this is this is the Tom and I crossover. So while I was doing the King stuff, Tom was out there doing his helping with the pit vipers. Um, yeah. so they were tracking <laughs> green pit vipers, which I had, I had the was a fun rivalry. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, there was a lot about the comparison of work ethic here. Not work ethic, work work hours. <laughs> Workload. Yeah. 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 Uh, it was comical. I mean, I was working for this guy called Kurt Barnes, who's um, a really good friend of me and Ben's, and he was he was researching the pit viper. So I saw an advert concurrently to Ben seeing the advert for King Cobra Spatial Ecology. I actually saw the King Cobra one, but um, for me personally, I think pit vipers hold a place in my heart. I've always been fascinated by them, and I looked up. I remember looking up a photo. One of the species is um, Cryptelotrops macrops, the big-eyed pit viper. And I just, you know, bashed yeah. it into Google. Like, yeah, big-eyed pit viper. And I was just like, whoa, that has got to be, like, <laughs> one of the coolest animals that exists on planet Earth. It's fluorescent green. It's got giant eyes. It can see heat. It lives in trees. Like, what more could you possibly want? I was like, all right, <laughs> applied for that. Um, similar story. Similar story to Ben. I mean fortunate enough to get you know had an interview um chatted to uh, colin strine who is now ben's boss uh, who works you know he, he he kind of runs the show out there in, in many ways and 
uh, like got, got there and started doing this thing and and yeah it was just it was bonkers how fun it was um but yeah obviously mm. i mean tracking tracking a green pit viper which is kind of sedentary nocturnal predator uh as com- they as pretty much don't to- move they literally <laughs> don't move it's right there, there. You want, ridiculous if you, want to, if you want to find an animal that is like just stone cold chilling 24 7 you gotta the green pit viper is it they just you know they just relax and it's so funny as well because they have they have very quirky routines where they'll come out and they'll perch on a branch and they'll just stare at the tree for the whole night. And then in the morning when it's daytime, they're just like, ah, time for bed. They go into this little hole, which is, you know, no more than a meter or so away, and they'll rest up in there. And then guaranteed that next night you'll see them back out staring at the exact same tree in the exact same spot. <laughs> <laughs> so they're, you know, they're creatures of habit, and I, you know, when you're trekking around in the jungle, I can get behind that. If I'm going to go trekking, <laughs> I'd, you know, I'd get up, make life on easy. The... Yeah, yeah, cruise down, cruise down to the little river, have a look. Oh, there it is, exactly where it was yesterday. Half the time, I didn't even need the radio telemetry kit. I left it on my back. <laughs> well, this is this is the thing. Yeah, you, what time were you guys getting up? Like oh, mid afternoon. Doesn't really matter. <laughs> <laughs> well, at the poor king team. King team, we were out at half six. Get there for half six. Tracking Mate. another three times during the day. You turn up. Your snake's one point two kilometers down the down in the forest somewhere. <laughs> All right. It'll be a long day. I used to hear you guys leave. I'd hear all the motorbikes firing up. It was a real inconvenience. Yeah, you had to wake up. <laughs> Sorry, we wake then, yeah. then you had to go back like, to is, sleep. That's horrible. Yeah. What is that sound? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, oh, and in fairness, we might we did get up later, and I you know I don't I don't refute that. Um, but we were up later as well because we obviously were doing the nighttime surveys, and also. I was drinking Doesn't in order on which snake I was on though. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's probably. I mean, that is fair. To, that is fair to say. There were some cruel snakes out there that moved at night. This diurnal king cobra that moves at night. Oh yeah. <laughs> thanks. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. You stay like, put, goddammit. Yeah. Mate, I yeah. can I can completely relate. Occasionally, one of the pit vipers would move over twenty meters. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's at a different tree. My God! <laughs> like, you know. I mean, wasn't wasn't one of the biggest moves the pit vipers did the time it got eaten by a king and and went off down the clong and <laughs> we, <laughs> out the study area? I, right. I do not want to get into whose snake is better than whose snake. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we nice. do not know whether or not that was a king cobra. That- could have just as easily been a crate, all right? <laughs> yeah, it could have been a crate. <laughs> yeah, but so that was a funny story. I've actually told that story on our podcast, but um, yeah, so me and Kurt were tracking a snake, and uh, we were like, I was, you know, I was in the, you know, po- poking my uh, radio telemetry kit at the tree where it was the day before, and I was like, Kurt, I think it's moved. And like, go, oh, come on, you can't be serious. Uh, no, so you then just, you to turn the kit on, right? Yeah. <laughs> so then we we end up tracking the snake, and it had moved like over 100 meters. We couldn't believe. We were like, this is great. Like, this is going to be awesome. What's it going to be doing? And uh, and we get to this little kind of clearing, and there's like, it's like a little orchard. Um, and uh, we're looking around. We can't find it. The signal's really weird. It's like bouncing around. Anyway, uh, after about 15 minutes of searching, Kurt zeroes in on this little hole in the ground. We're like, what? Anyway, we look in there, and what should we find? But a tiny, perfectly formed, unmistakable snake poo with a little radio transmitter sticking out. <laughs> Like, oh. that was my favorite snake as well she was called blue she was super cool she had this like weird sort of color muta- 
presentation, but you know, she just had this like blue neck, and yeah, she was just a really awesome snake, and uh, yeah, eaten too soon, unfortunately. But we don't know if it was a king cobra or not. <laughs> we refuse okay. to find out. Yeah. So okay. yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. So, what research are you guys doing now? Like, are you guys involved in any research projects currently? Oh yeah, well, yeah, we we yeah. both are. Yeah. Um, ben, you, you do you want to go first? Um, yeah, well, I'll, I'll I'll try and segue into sort of what I did after the after the King Cobra yeah. tracking was jumped over to to Bangor. Basically, Tom and I came up with a huge over over the top proposal to try and track uh, adders. And uh, although it got the interest of some people, basically there wasn't the money to do it. Um, so, it was fun though, wasn't yeah. it? Because we, we oh, kind of went. Fantastic. To, yeah. Is it super bad when they're like, we're going to interview as a team? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the term is unorthodox. That's what we were told. Unorthodox, but okay, carry on. Yeah, so, that's it. No, I, so basically that fell through. But I did a did a bit of research at Bangor for my for my masters that was looking at. Um, oh, we talked about it on the on the podcast. In fact, uh, the vulnerability of Malagasy species to the newly introduced uh, combination toad, sort of cane toad V two sort of situation, as it turns out. Um, but after that, came crawling back to Thailand because, again, couldn't get a, a PhD anywhere. So I thought, okay, I'll, I'll go back there and help out with the guys. Um, so that's where I am now. And the research is basically headed up, as Tom said, headed up by uh, Colin Strine and um, Max Jones, who is his PhD student. And Max Jones is basically heading up the King Cobra effort now, looking at the uh, thermal ecology and spatial ecology of the kings. And my role here is basically facilitating any and all research we've got. Oh, we're tracking Burmese pythons out here. We're tracking Boiga cyanea, which are green cat-eyed snakes. Um, the pit viper stuff has been wrapped up. There's another team on site tracking the true cobras, two species of true cobra. Uh, just had tortoises that have just wrapped up their project as well. But basically the game plan for me is to pull out a lot of the old King Cobra tracking data. I mean, we've been tracking these guys. When did it start? Early 2013. So we've got this backlog of five years plus of data that needs sorting, cleaning, publishing, and well, a hell of a lot of analysis done to it. So that's my day in, day out is uh, dealing with that and, writing up reports to grant agencies so we keep funded and we can keep things going. But it's a pretty yeah. big effort out here. We've got a lot of volunteers. We've got a lot of a lot of students doing a lot of projects and a lot of interesting things coming out of it. And there's always, you know, side projects going on, little, little odds and sods, uh, doing some, like, well, probably quite dry and boring for a lot of people, but methodology, <laughs> a lot of tests, big, big methods papers that no one's going to read unless you're actually uh, following snakes yourself. But there'll be some interesting King Cobra stuff coming out real soon. So That's awesome. That's cool. Um, I was going to ask, well, I have two questions. Um, one, how, how do you go about picking a topic to research? Is that something that you guys decide or does somebody decide that for you? And then what are some of the challenges when you're out in the field tracking a snake that the lay person might not know about? Hmm. Uh, 
well, so um, at least in terms of my research, um, it was kind of decided for me because I applied for the PhD and got it. I'll talk about that in a sec. Um, yeah. But uh, Ben, so in how do they, I mean, the stuff you're doing, Ben, is mostly with regards to kind of conservation efforts, isn't it? So, um, oh, yeah. Who, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, how do you come up with research questions, research projects? I mean, I think the motivation behind king cobras as a study species is certainly mm -hmm. top billing, using them as a flagship. Um, mm -hmm. There is no way you can see a photo of a king cobra or if you're lucky enough to see one in the flesh and not be completely blown away by, well, they're just their raw presence. They're, you can't yes. get away from that. So the idea is learn about king cobras, learn about their habitat use, learn about actually what threats they're facing as well. It's one of these species that you think, oh yeah, king cobras. Everybody should know about those. They're, everybody knows them, so you presume that there's decent knowledge about them. But it's pretty poor to be to be blunt, um, a lot of stuff in Southeast Asia, we're lacking really, really basic natural history stuff out here. Um, so a lot of these questions are pretty fundamental biology questions. When are they breeding? Where are they breeding? How many do we have here? What habitats are they preferring? What's killing them? That's the paper that should be coming out in, I don't know, maybe a month or so time is uh, all the different deaths we've documented over the past four or five years with King Cobras and how unbelievably depressing the whole situation is because, oh, how many have we, 14, 14 King Cobra deaths um, out of our, I don't know, 34, 35 tracks. Um, wow. Half of those, Jesus. Well, half of the ones tracked have died. All but two of them have had some sort of association with people. Only two natural predations we've seen. Everything else is either roadkill, persecution, we've had a couple eaten, had a couple just, yeah, mysterious deaths where they've just turned up with blunt force trauma. And, oh, yeah, yeah, that's, um, that's going to be human-related. And all these deaths are happening outside in uh, agricultural areas. And it's this sort of stuff that no one's... I think everybody <coughs> sort of knows what happens. You see videos online of people... You know, pulling out king cobras in people's homes across India and things, and you know, king cobra doesn't get off very lightly. But to actually have it documented, and in relation to where they go and how they use the landscape, I mean, to me, that's a really, really important question. If you're going to solve and tackle what's killing them, you've got to first work out where the problem's coming from. Um, gotcha. And I think a lot of it is people's perceptions of king cobras. Because mm. you know. Hmm. Very cool. The big, big intimidating yeah. animals, even if they're hard to rile up. Yeah, the irony is that King Cobras as well is that if you read the um, the medical documentation for snake bites in places like Thailand, okay, it's it is going mm -hmm. to be underreported because they are really, really venomous. And if you do get bitten and you're in somewhere rural, there is a good chance that you may not get a chance to actually, you know, report that information back. But yeah, compared to even green pit vipers, which are responsible for the vast majority of bites, King Cobras. Being so intelligent and so wily, they are way more inclined to get out of people's way. Um, would you agree, Ben, that they're one of the less dangerous snakes in Thailand, in terms of venomous snakes and people? Yeah, I'd be, I'd, I would be amazed um, if you could get a king cobra to bite you. Like, you really have to try. You have to try and kill that snake to, try, to get bitten. 
Yeah. Really? They, yeah. I mean, just, I mean, we, we obviously go out for rescue calls to try and get them at people's homes that they obviously don't want them, you know, hanging around in someone's attic or something. That's, that's fair mm-hmm. enough. But the amount of manhandling you need to apply to a King Cobra to get it out of some of these locations. And <laughs> even still, it's, it's more committed to getting away from you and getting out of there than it is to bite. It doesn't have the same, you know, just you're going to get bitten more by rat snakes and stuff that's got nothing. Yeah, they've got nothing to lose. They've got no venom to use. They don't, they don't care. They'll bite away and they know it's not going to matter too much. The kings are just, no, you really have to try. Um, I mean, I, I know, but it's all handlers. There tends to be a lot of handlers messing around and uh, not treating the kings with the due respect. I mean, they, you know, they can mess you up if they want to. They just tend not what to want to. Hmm. Do you think anything like stumbling upon a, uh, a nesting mom might also throw somebody off like that, or would they rather you just oh. leave their pile alone and once you're a safe distance away, all right, we're good. I will be um, if someone's stumbling across a nest, man, they, they've got so unbelievably lucky. Or at least round here. <laughs> in the, in the sort of, <laughs> like I wish we, I was stumbling across nests. Finding, yeah, we, yeah, we find them hard to hard to discover when we've got a radio transmitter in the in the female. <laughs> Ridiculous. We had the most recent one. It's like you you'd walk up to it and you, I can't even see the nest anymore. I know it's I know exactly where it is. We've got it marked on the GPS, but I can't see it. That's cool. I, again, I would be amazed. All our females, they're not using the agriculture to nest, which is a little bit worrying. They're heading back to deep forest. They're heading back to, although not pristine forest, pretty decent forested areas. Um, yeah, and I also doubt that the density of nests are particularly high, that people are going to come across them. I really feel okay. it, it's it's the people going after snakes that are going to be the ones that get bit. And even then, I think that's pretty infrequent. Okay. Well, I know it's pretty infrequent certainly by the, by the records. Um, that's I awesome. think a lot of the, yeah. I mean, with God, we've, you can, we've had people where uh, one guy accidentally stood on a king. <laughs> um, and it did, it didn't, he had a faulty transmitter, <laughs> the, the faulty transmitter, faulty receiver. So he had absolutely, <laughs> It was saying, you know, giving him a bad signal, being, oh, yeah, sounds like he's miles away. He's got absolutely no signal. Next thing he knows, he's put his foot on this, um, I don't know, 3.4 meter adult male. Whoa. <laughs> Jesus. It, it, it like, hardly reacts. It, like, shifts it itself didn't a little do bit. anything? <laughs> Maybe 1.5 meters away, two meters, and then just stays in the grass. <laughs> and he's all, you know, the tracker backs off and monitors to make sure he hasn't completely spooked its movements, and it just chills there, and that's it. You know, huh. it, it, you really have to push him, really have to push him. And that was a really like freak occurrence. That hardly, well, I think that's the only time it's ever happened. That sort of stuff. <laughs> all right. <laughs> wow. I remember. Hey, I remember. Cobra release. It was one of the first times I was like fully. Like, one of the first times I actually sort of not directly interacted with a King Cobra, but I was kind of present when there was one there. And mm. um, when 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 the guys do a release, they kind of, like, uh, have the King Cobra in a box, in a bag, and then they take away the bag, and then the last thing, they lift up the box. So the King Cobra's just left out on the floor. And um, everyone kind of stepped back, and the King Cobra was just sat there. 
and it was just hooding and it was just literally look, looking around at each and every one of us just like taking in the situation and this thing was like you could just see its mind working it was just there watching us we were watching it and it stayed like that for 10 minutes it wouldn't move off it was just watching us watching us and uh yeah if you ever needed evidence that that snake's like not only intelligent but also like completely non-violent um that was probably the best example i could think of and actually once people started tapping its tail it then sort of scurried off but um yeah just an incredible beast and this thing hooding you know it's, it's four feet off the ground with its hood uh, Jesus. Yeah, it wow. really makes 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 an impression on you like really yeah. that's almost as tall as me yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. staring yeah. over yeah. eric it's like oh no i can't <laughs> see eric yeah so yeah. <laughs> yikes okay yeah cool jesus um well tom tell us what you're uh what, what are you working on research-wise i kind of yeah, jumped okay, in cool. there and <laughs> no it's good. it's good so um i mean king cobras are pretty sexy they're kind of cool you know that's fine um we can't <laughs> some, some yeah, i mean i think you can talk about them if you want Tom. that's fine I'm, um, <laughs> <laughs> i can talk all day <laughs> <laughs> Some of us study generic bound colibrids. <laughs> uh, but no, that's, um, yeah, so uh, never, ever, ever, no, no never been. So, um, yeah, so I'm a PhD student at Bangor University, um, supervised by uh, Wolfgang Worcester and John Mully. And uh, yeah, so at the university where me and Ben spent a lot of our time hanging out, and the research focus for me, is um, the Escalapian snake, which is uh, Zaminus longissimus. Um, And it's the UK's only introduced snake species. So um, they're not actually native to the UK. Uh, They were brought here by accident. Um, They've actually been brought here twice. Um, Once by London. So there's a population in, um, well, in Regent's Park in London, sort of on the banks of a canal. (laughs) There's a fair few of them there. Yeah. Uh, which, uh, yeah, if you believe you to believe the news reports, those those snakes will eat your babies and your children, and then yeah, probably pro- probably have. Somehow I didn't see him when I was there a couple of weeks ago. Damn it! Oh well. <laughs> oh well. Next time you'll have to come and have a look at the population I'm studying. I know. So I'm studying. I'm studying the ones in Wales. Um, so I actually live in Wales, okay. uh, right on the right on the far north tip of Wales, and uh, yeah, there's a population which originated from the Welsh Mountain Zoo is in a place called Colwyn Bay. Um, so this is like right on the coast. It's kind of, um, well, it's, it's really close to like all the mountains in Snowdonia of North Wales. Quite an extreme, like harsh climate, loads of rain. Um, weirdly, it's got a north facing aspect, but um, one or maybe more, maybe a few of these snakes uh, escaped from the zoo in the 1960s. Um, the guy who originated the zoo was actually a reptile importer as well. Um, so he's the father of the guy who a guy called Nick Jackson who is um, a partner on my PhD and uh, yeah so at some stage one or more snakes got out from his um, import facility Uh, and then the story is it was one female she she got out laid her eggs and then subsequently over the last almost 60 years they've kind of been interbreeding in this area Um, most of their range seems to be still within the grounds of the zoo itself so um, yeah there's some pretty bizarre encounters for these snakes which are Originally from originally originally they're from Europe, but now they're interacting with tigers and ostriches and all sorts of mad <laughs> stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, there's a yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, it's just like no intended. 
<laughs> just like no <laughs> Such interesting topics for papers. How do they interact with tigers? Let's figure yeah, it out. That's it. Yeah, yeah. I don't, yeah, that would make a good short note. Like, yeah, yeah. they lose against. They lose against tigers. Obviously, they lose against tigers. <laughs> Enrichment for tigers. Great. Yeah, that's it. it. Um, but, um, oh my god. <laughs> There's also stories about them, you know, coming across a marmoset and like having a face off with a marmoset and stuff like that. Um, but for the most part, they do kind of tend to keep themselves to themselves. I think. And um, yeah, so the focus of my PhD, obviously, invasive species are and will remain a really hot topic. Um, you know, you've got talk about threats to biodiversity, you've got, you know, climate change, like human modification, habitat destruction. And uh, depending on, you know, your perspective, invasive species are kind of third that sort of list of horrors so um yeah this species being introduced and non-native it's not yet uh, an invasive species because there is any evidence of them um causing declines in native species or really uh, radiating too much um but yeah the focus of my phd okay. is just to kind of use this as an opportunity to study um a species introduction which is in many ways in its infancy um so i'm doing things like uh, a big mark recapture study out you know the demographics of this population how many males how many females what's their sort of uh, juvenile recruitment like um how big is the population in general uh what's their survival year to year um and then we're also doing some cool stuff with um the genetic variability of the population because um right i'm another... about that have you found evidence for whether it really was one female or well so at the minute we're just because uh, I've just finished my first year. My second year started like last week. So we're kind of in the planning stages. I've been collecting a lot of tissue samples and um, we're going to do some work on the kind of genetic variability. Um, in terms of evidence for inbreeding, um, one thing which is interesting about the population is that there are some scale abnormalities. Um, so uh, sometimes the ventral scales are split or things like that. And um, okay. there's evidence. Uh-huh. Yeah, there's a really cool paper um, on dice snakes, I believe, in, which were introduced to lakes in Switzerland. I'm pretty sure I've got that information right. Um, and the, yeah, they had, because they had a really like low genetic founding stock, they had similar things where they had these strange scale abnormalities and largely to do with ventral scales as well, which is what we see in, this, in the Escalapian snakes. Um, yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, I'm, I should probably talk a little bit about the actual species Escalapian snakes. So it's, okay. sure. like yeah. I say, it's a, it's a colubrid. Um, they're, they are, well, they're brown, but they're they're really beautiful brown. Uh, they're kind of yellow underneath. <laughs> but like they got white flecks along the top, and um, their native range they get to be about two meters long. Where, uh, but we see them getting to about 0.3, 1.4 meters, so they do tend to be a little bit smaller. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they're an awesome species of snake. Like you know, really powerful constricting colubrid. Um, they have really weirdly disproportionate bodies compared to any other snake I've seen. They have these tiny heads and then these big, thick, muscular bodies. They almost look, if you catch an adult male, it almost looks like a really, really fat corn snake um, and a giant corn snake as well, uh, which is quite unusual. Um, But yeah, so yeah, the project is what's going on with this species, their genetic variability. And then also um, starting this summer, we're going to be doing some radio telemetry, very similar to what Ben's doing out in Thailand looking at their habitat selection, uh, spatial ecology, so, you know, movement distances, how big their home range, and um, what habitat features are specifically allowing them to survive in a novel environment, because 
North Wales, as compared to Italy or, you know, Georgia or somewhere else these snakes would be found, is um, kind of inhospitable in many ways. So we're yeah, going to look at what it is that's allowing them to survive. And obviously the zoo itself has some kind of unusual features in that there's heated reptile houses and there's there's dumbbells and stuff like that. And we're hoping to find out whether or not they're entirely reliant on those things or whether or not, you know, that's just a boost or whether they're not using those things at all. So Sure. It's, it's been a really fun project. Yeah, that's Very really cool. cool. Yeah. Go ahead, Rob. Sorry. No, no, that that was it. No, I'm, just, I'm glad to hear it. This is super interesting. So, yeah, I wish, uh, or I'm glad to hear it in this context because, as you said, you guys don't really get a chance to talk about it on your show, but it's super interesting. Oh, uh, yeah, cheers. No, it's nice. To, it's good to have a an outlet to talk about our own stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> So, I mean, I know you, you guys kind of hit on it a little bit, but like, what are some of the challenges that you face when you're out there in the field, you know, trying to track these snakes? Um, mosquitoes would be one. So pit vipers, <laughs> which love water. In- interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Um, after about four months, I became immune to mosquitoes. And, uh, yeah, I you stopped noticing. Just, yeah, really? I just remember watching. Yeah, just like see one yeah. land on your own casually watch it and uh yeah it just bites you your body doesn't react anymore which is kind of weird feeling <laughs> is my body broken <laughs> wait a minute no it's more like it's more yeah. like a superpower really That's... yeah maybe you're right <laughs> us mere mortals would never survive out there in the jungle <laughs> oh, oh no, very for cool. the first few months it was it was bad though i mean just getting bitten on the face because your face is the only thing that's uncovered so yeah mm-hmm. they just get swarm swarm on the where pit vipers hang out, I mean, a lot of what me and Kurt were doing was um, surveying, just trying to catch new snakes because uh, we were only radio tracking a few. And so, yeah, we were just hanging out in these, like, swampy places uh, late at night. And, yeah, there's just mosquitoes everywhere. Um, but, wow. Yeah. yeah. More than made no, up by the fascinating snakes. Now, are you guys out there when in I the field? The zoo, like... you got to avoid the popcorn vendor. <laughs> That's a challenge, right? It's the zoo. <laughs> yeah. The for sure. Yeah, no, yeah. the zoo is a much more hospitable environment to study. I'm surrounded by like nice people. Yeah, the the zookeepers are always catching snakes for me. I couldn't ask for more. It's actually yeah. <laughs> but you just got to avoid the the sweets vendors, right? That's the trouble. That's that's the difficulty at the zoo is you got to avoid uh, getting suckered in. Uh, I always fail to avoid the ice cream shop where I go pretty much after every Saturday. Me and me, me and uh, I got a master student who works with me called Dev, and yeah, we're suckers for. So like we go there a lot. Ah, yes, I would be a sucker for that as well. <laughs> yeah, it's just pure, pure coincidence that most uh, most snakes just happen to be in that area. That's where all the captures happen, right? Next to <laughs> next to anything that's dispensing ice cream or, or cold drink. It's a smart snake. It's an intelligent yeah. animal right there. So yeah, right. <laughs> cool. No, I think. Um, uh, I think sorry, Eric, what were you going to say? Yeah, no, just, just just go back ahead, in time. I think the the top uh, top billing for dealing with fieldwork stuff is actually the transport. Hundred mm-hmm. percent snakes, not a problem. Walking through the forest, yeah, yeah, you can deal with that. You in nature is it's brilliant. Um, but uh, driving on on uh, on a highway on a rickety moped, yep, that's uh, <laughs> way riskier. People always, whenever you you come back home, you say, yeah, what's okay? So what do you do? Oh, I work with king cobras, and they freak out. Wow, oh, venomous snake! What uh, what the hell are you doing? Yeah, 
No, that's not the scary bit. Not not at all. <laughs> King Cobra any day. Riding the moped, that's the scary bit. Uh, oh boy. I think it's important, it is important to note that riding a moped is disproportionately dangerous for Ben than it is for other people. <laughs> well, maybe, yeah, maybe, perhaps. But <laughs> those roads are dangerous whoever you are. Taking <laughs> mopeds off road through the forest to find a king, yeah, you're asking for trouble. I'll wow. never forget, you, after one of the many times you'd come off the moped and um, you're missing quite a lot of skin on your arm and uh, me and you went to Bangkok for a weekend just to like take some time off and have a little chill, um, maybe do a oh, visa yeah. run or something, I, I can't remember what the purpose of the, the trip was, but I vividly remember sitting in that hostel room with you changing your dressing in the, in the room, it was just like, oh more, man more, that was grim, more, more pus than I've ever seen before or since and I was just like mate. Holy hell, yeah. what did you do? Oh, well, you know, just came off the moped. That's what... Oh, yeah, that's that. Yeah, you know, just, just, just one of yeah. those things. Yeah. Uh, it, was just, it was just sort of road rash-like stuff. Um, oh. Arm, leg, side, face, Body. chin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, hand. You know, it's all good. Everything, everything works. There's no broken bones. It's, all, it, it's just a flesh wound. Is merely <laughs> you were this close to becoming a Batman villain, is what you're telling me, right? So, oh, but what a cool origin story! Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> awesome. Um, so let's, you know, I guess let's, Rob, you want to get into the podcast part of it? Like, what what yeah. motivated you guys to start the podcast? Well, yeah. Yeah, how about you do – play a clip or two first. So do that Monsters and Dragons one, and then let's do the Constriction one just because I think that's something that, you know, I certainly hope people are going to go, you know, check out all of your episodes. I mean, you guys have – Oh, that's going to blow their mind. Check out. Yeah. Yeah, but you got to right. – I think we need to put that out here just so people hear it. It's going to blow all my mind for sure. Time to yeah. listen to yourselves what? again. So. Oh, when I oh, heard boy. this – you know, Oh, man. <laughs> it was very <laughs> – the genus name is Sunskin. Um, interestingly, I actually had a conversation, like bizarrely, two nights ago with a taxi driver. Um, he was like, <laughs> he was like a language aficionado, and he was telling me about sunflowers and how he remembers the name of them. By Hela. Yeah, because their whole genus is Helianthus. Yeah. Which is like sun, so they're sunflowers. So then, as soon as I saw Heloderma, I was like, oh, oh yeah, sun. Skin guys, quite cool. <laughs> um, and suspectum is actually Latin for mistrust. So they're sun skin lizards who can't be trusted. They they just go crazy for water. It's like some a stereotypical behaviour where if you put water in front of them, they'll just guzzle it down. And um, they apparently can drink up to a fifth of their body water in one sitting, of their body weight in water in one sitting. Sorry, um, which a lot of water. I mean that's I, I did a little bit of maths, and, and as it turns out, <laughs> yeah, I know, one time only, and as it turns out, that's like me drinking 14 litres of water in one go. Yeah, see, that would cause proper problems. Yeah, if you die. did that, that would be, yeah, you game over. you're that's not like going to be in a good state. Seven large bottles of fizzy drink. Well, I think the fizziness would, would do all sorts of numbers on you, <laughs> yeah. the water intake, so yeah. Yeah, but just to clarify, these Gila monsters are just drinking water and they don't like fizzy drinks. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Maybe yeah. they go mad for it. But they also need a remarkably low amount of energy to get by for a whole year. So yes. 
so their measurement was a mean of 3,766 kilojoules of energy for a year, right? Yeah. I mean, that's... I, I went into my fridge, was the first thing I did, and I, <laughs> I picked up some butter and I looked at it, and that's 125 grams of butter mm. that run a Gila monster for a year. Yeah. That's absolutely insane. That they'd, would run, they'd love to get their hands on that butter. Yeah. They'd gorge themselves on it. They would. They'd binge butter, almost <laughs> certainly. But, like, that's absolutely mad. Mm. That would run a human for, what, a couple of hours? Gila monster for a year. Yeah, unbelievable. I mean, it, it's just in a totally different league of efficiency. It's, it's quite remarkable. To be envenomated by a helium monster, that thing has really got to get on you and get on you good because they don't have a particularly efficient delivery system. They're not like um, an elapid or, or some type of snake that has a very refined, you know, bang for buck. Like yeah, they them in, job done. Yeah, they don't they have the gnaw on you, and it might take up to 15 minutes of being gnawed on for venom to actually be delivered into your body. Which, you know, when you think about it, you got oh man, you can't get this lizard off you for 15 minutes. That's. I mean, we've all been there though. You're, you're working, you're moving some rubble. A lizard bites your arm. You think, ah, oh, I'll sort that out within 15 minutes. Yeah, I'll just finish this job. Crack <laughs> on. Have a cup of tea. We'll comment on that clip in a minute, but we're going to play the uh, boa constriction uh, uh, clip real quick in between here. Uh, this one was published in 2015, and it's entitled Snake Constriction Rapidly Induces Circulatory Arrest in Rats. It's from the Journal of Experimental Biology, which uh, happens to be an open access journal, which is mighty handy. You mean the best type of journal? Yeah, yes. Or, as the case may be, as the episode wears on, some cases, not the best type of channel. little spoiler alert. Oh. Ben doesn't know what I'm talking about. No one knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm mysterious. I'm feeling mysterious. So um, the general idea behind the writing of this paper was that snakes might actually not kill their prey by suffocation, which is... What, mm. I mean, I've got loads of textbooks here from when I was a kid. Every single one of them, it says, snakes kill their prey constrictors at least, kill their prey by suffocation. Yes, that's what's interesting with this paper, is it digs into exactly what's killing the prey, as opposed to what you just assume is killing the prey. Yeah. And it's not even a, a new idea that it's not suffocation. I think initial mentions of this were back in uh, the early 20th century, it's, it's, although it's only just been investigated as thoroughly as it needed to be. How on earth do you measure what the heart is doing inside a creature being consumed by a boa? Well, I can tell you, actually. Um, <laughs> I was hoping you would. <laughs> well, I'm glad you asked. The way they measure it is actually an ECG, which is the same as what they use for a human, which is an electrocardiogram. See, when I was reading the paper, ECG came up. I was like, oh, I recognise that. That's an acronym I, I recognise. And there was another one that came up that wasn't even explained called QRS. What on Mate, earth is me, QRS? It took me ages to Look, work out QRS. Yeah, because it's just, you know, assumed you know what it is. They actually measured four things. The first was the ECG to see the rhythm and electric signals of the heart to see if they were normal. The second, they measured the pressure the snake was exerting by putting a hydraulic pressure probe on the rat so they could actually see how hard the yeah. rat was being squeezed. And thirdly, they took the pressure in the rodent's veins using a catheter so they could just tell how much pressure the blood was under. 
And the fourth thing they did was that they analysed the chemistry of the blood so they could mm. actually see what was being put into the blood which the rat was circulating around its body and whether the levels of different compounds were yeah. normal. How the blood chemistry changed under extreme pressure. Burr constrictors actually have four rows on top and two on the bottom. Um, the bottom rows are on the lower jaw, same as us, the mandible. But the upper rows, of which there are four, there's two on the maxilla, which is the normal upper jaw, like we have. But they also have two rows of teeth on bones that make up the palate, which is like the rest of the inside of the mouth, basically like the bit that joins your mouth to your head in the inside. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. That does make sense. Um, one of those bones is actually the bone which makes up the floor of their nasal cavity. You can kind of imagine that bit at the back of your mouth. Just layered with teeth. Just layered with teeth. That's it, what birds are working it, it with. It conjures an image of a shark's mouth. Yes, and they are similar to sharks in that their teeth are constantly replaced. I see, that's pretty useful. Yeah, because... I, as long as that's not painful, I could go for that. <laughs> new teeth. Well, yeah, keep them fresh. Yeah, it would be it's a pain to brush your teeth, actually. It'd be yeah. nice to... Just get some new ones in at the weekend. Go <laughs> Peak peak constriction, as they termed it, occurred six seconds after biting the prey. You can strolling along, minding your own time. Bam! You've been hit by a snake. Six seconds later, <laughs> you've got this 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 thing wrapped around you, causing massive, as we'll we'll find out, massive changes to your blood chemistry, to the pressures, to your part, to just the way your body's functioning. Six seconds. That is incredibly brutal. You mentioned that six seconds. Within six seconds, the blood pressure in the central body cavity was six times higher than what it was mm. prior to the strike, while the blood the blood pressure in the extremities dropped by a half. And that's really key because if you don't have the periphery higher than your core blood pressure, essentially your blood can't move properly and efficiently around your system. It completely disrupts the circulation of your blood. That's pretty key. <laughs> yeah. So we need blood. Need blood. Yeah. No animal that has blood. I mean, I don't know. Can do about without it. it. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I think that's I think quite safe to say. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I don't know all the animals with all the blood, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say, if it's, you've got blood, you need the blood. Probably quite important. Your blood might be blue. I don't know what kind of freaky, weird, invertebrate creature you are, but you need your blood to keep hold of it. The second, I mean, there's a few things of which these rats are going through, which I do not. You know, not I, that ever experienced. Yeah, yeah. I can. Uh, yeah, I, so I don't envy them. Increase in central blood pressure paired with a halving of peripheral blood pressure. We then have a big drop in heart rate in the first 30 seconds. I had, apart from a few rats that happened to have an increase in heart rate and then rapidly caught up with the other rats that, you know, just declined straight away. So it seems like heart rate is not as big a deal. But some rats might have got lucky and panicked. I, I don't know what caused that yeah. boost in heart rate, but it didn't help. Yeah, the, 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 the average heart rate of the rats was less than half its normal rate within 60 seconds. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty serious. Across the board, too. That's every rat. And so, towards the end of constriction, rat extremity blood pressure was really low. It was a third of its former level. Heart rate was a quarter. Central blood pressure was only just over one-sixth its original level. So that, which had originally completely exploded, was now down because the heart's just not working anymore. Yeah, everything's, yeah, everything's shot at this point. Yeah. The ECG <laughs> also showed that in 91% of their rats, the cardiac electrical system had 
completely malfunctioned. Well, exactly. It, it, basically, everything they measured became either a rhythmic abnormal or completely broken within that minute. It was just a complete destruction of <laughs> the cardiac system. It, I mean, it sounds horrific if you were the rat, but it's phenomenal from the snake's perspective. It's, I mean, talk about overkill. <laughs> <laughs> I know, yeah. And, but wait, there's even more. Oh, yeah, there is more, because we only talked about the blood chemistry yeah, the going blood chemistry. completely to So, shock. I'd not heard of this term before, hyperkalemic, which mm. means that the serum potassium levels are high, and in this case, they were nearly doubled, um, which, believe it or not, if you've got wrong potassium levels in your blood, guess what it does to you? It kills you real yeah, fast. But do you know why? It disrupts the normal function of the heart. <laughs> exactly. And so you've already got a heart which is basically exploded. Now you've got your potassium levels to worry about, which I thought was interesting. They postulated that the reason for that is that even if a rat escapes and it catches its breath and its blood pressure starts to go back to normal... It's already done. Yeah, the potassium yeah. level is going to creep back up on it and the snake can simply seek it out later. In one final flurry of just wanton destruction. <laughs> the rats also undergo acidiosis, which is where their blood pH changes from 7.4 to 7.0, so it becomes quite significantly more acidic. Acidiosis is what happens to you if you drink methanol. Mmm. It's just this perfect storm of really unpleasant occurrences. Yeah, because like, methanol is sort of like number one on the things not to drink, isn't it? And yet... Here it is. <laughs> the rats are undergoing the same exact phenomena. Oh. Poor little creatures. Note to stealth, do not get eaten by a large constrictor. Thankfully, well, I mean, I really hope it doesn't happen. <laughs> Seems unlikely. Seems unlikely, yeah. It does seem unlikely. We, we covered essentially everything there, but there are also little added bits of actual tissue damage occurring because of lack of lack of oxygen, not because of oxygen levels being depressed in the blood, but more blood not getting to areas. And they think that maybe one of the reasons creatures go unconscious so quickly from constriction is lack of oxygen reaching the brain and the brain being damaged by that. Man, that just blows my mind. Holy <laughs> <That's>, hell. Uh, <laughs> I know, right? It's crazy. And, and, and under a minute, it's like, dear God, well then... You know, part of me is thinking, why the hell is my snake hold it wrapped around for like five minutes? I'm like, job's done, dude. Now you're just overkill. <laughs> so, <laughs> Jesus. Okay, well, just killing machines. It's terrible. Yeah, apparently. Uh, Holy wow. hell. That's my favorite. And then uh, I was just thinking about eating a stick of butter and how gross that would be for me. <laughs> no, that's right. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, that's your that's your your uh, favorite, right, Owen? Uh, you know, butter? Uh, no, no, not <laughs> butter. <laughs> you got a big butter yeah, fan in it. Butter. He's getting at here. Yeah. <laughs> he's always oh, taking God. butter to all the reptile I'm shows just, and all. Like, where we go? Stick of butter. <laughs> I, behind my table, chewing on a stick of butter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Gives them nice skin, you know that whole. It deal. does. Wonderful uh, <laughs> skin I have. Yeah. You know. So that that gives. I mean, I definitely want to. You know, maybe we can jump into that or whatever. I don't know. Um, but I, I'm curious about. You know, going back to the what motivated you guys to do the podcast. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. So. Um, I think it was well, your idea, I mean, wasn't it, Tom? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was my idea, but it was. Um, 
yeah, it was only because of your enthusiasm I think it actually ended up happening. Uh, so I, I was, I was, because I was waiting for a PhD to begin. So I was like living in Wales, and I was living close to Ben. Uh, he was doing his masters at the time, and um, Ben was coming around to my house a lot, and we were just like, you know, playing Xbox, drinking beers, chilling out, um, and naturally talking about reptiles because <clears throat> that's you know how we met, and that's kind of uh, the foundation of our friendship is reptiles. And, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I was listening to you guys at the time. Uh, I mean, I've always listened to podcasts. I used to listen to, you know, Herp in Time Radio, um, mm-hmm. Reptile Radio, all those old school ones, you know, Vin Russo's podcast. Um, yep. So I was kind of like all about the podcasts. And, um, yeah, I just thought, you know, it seems as if there could potentially be a little niche, as we discussed just like go on and actually no that's not true because um justin julander who i know is a friend of you guys was doing uh herpetological discussions which i also listened to and really enjoyed um mm-hmm. i think he was on like a hiatus of about a year he hadn't come out with an episode um oh. and so yeah and so um i just said to ben like you know we're talking about reptiles i wanted to keep up on my reading because i wasn't actually kind of doing anything academic at the time i was working in a hotel and uh i just wanted to read about snakes really no, I wanted a, an excuse to chat about it, so I mentioned it to you, didn't, didn't I, Ben? We kind of just got, got mm. talking about it. And, um, yeah, I mean, you immediately, Ben, were just like, yeah, let's do it. And uh, Ben's very much good at the I like, think it was a weird... side of stuff. Yeah, it might have even been a, like a weird coincidence where I'd like just been looking for some herpetological podcasts with a very specific goal of being like, I just want something that will just read me papers. I want, to, yeah. I want something that I can, like, I, can, I can not use my eyes, but just like learn via osmosis while I'm doing something else. Yeah. Like, Damn, why isn't anybody doing this really specific niche thing that's <laughs> just reading the yeah. papers I want to read? So, yeah. It would appeal to literally tens of people. <laughs> yeah. But one of those tens well, of people was me. Yeah, <laughs> that exactly. meant a lot to me. Yeah. And, um, yeah, we just kind of, uh, well, we bought a microphone, didn't we? Um, it didn't work. And then, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. What happened with yeah, that? Yeah, we had that whole setup that oh, we sent it back. <laughs> it took all that time to get out a microphone. So, oh, yeah, it didn't work. Oh, yeah, that's right. And then, so, initially, the first, like, I don't know how many episodes, um, six, seven, maybe, were recorded in my flat, and we were both sat together. Um, and we used to just, mm. you know, shoot shoot the shit about whatever it was. Um yeah, the first few obviously are a bit weird. Uh, we kind of got into our groove after a few, I think. Um, and yeah, we just yeah recorded them. And then subsequently, after a few episodes, uh, you moved, you left Banger, didn't you? And so, um, yep. yeah, ever since then, we've been doing them sort of remotely. And now we're in a position where I did it in Wales and Ben's in Thailand. And we kind of meet up over Skype, record separate bits, and then splice them together subsequently down the road. Mm. Cool. That's, That's awesome. awesome. Well, I'm glad that you guys are reading the papers for me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I appreciate the podcast it. that reads you papers. So you started right. one where you read the papers to other people. So right. yeah, yeah. You know, that didn't really get what you wanted, but whatever, I got it. So it's cool. Yeah. But what's cool about it is well, that since since we started, there's now yeah. another new one, Squamates, which is a very similar vein. Um, and I mean. You know, those guys are all extremely knowledgeable themselves, and they're fun to listen to. So, yeah, it's kind of cool. Just the more, more coming. And then, of course, there's this new one, um, Reptile and Chill, which is great as well. And I know yeah. you guys went on that podcast. I listened to that episode. It was carnage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
before we start, they're like, watch your language. I'm like, you have not listened to a single episode of NPR, have you? Because I, mean, <laughs> I don't even know. Yeah. So, yeah, that was, it was straight up. Yeah. yeah, I met a couple of those guys. Well, I actually I met a couple they... of those guys on Sunday. And, uh, yeah, they're really, really nice guys. It was really cool. Yeah, they're all awesome. maybe Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, cool. I was just going to say, and I'm sure you'd agree, Tom, that uh, I think uh, the From the Ground Up folks with the Colubrids, Got uh, much harsher questions, you know. They, they ran that little game show, and I was oh, thinking, yeah. Yeah, this isn't fair, man. Sucks for them. I don't care. We won. But, uh, <laughs> so. I, I thought, yeah, I mean, you guys, you, you guys. I mean, if you hadn't have got pythons, it would have been ridiculous. I mean, oh dear God. Year, so, for sure. Yeah. I, was, I was like, well, what are they going to pick here? <laughs> we would have lost every question. It just was, no. Yep. Uh, yeah. I think. Uh, yeah, it would have been embarrassing if you hadn't done well. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Seven years of work would have been all questioned. Then, so, yeah, 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 wait a minute. Yeah. I can't listen to you guys anymore. Well, well they, got Every the one where like, they got the one where it's like, name all the species of rattlesnake. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> like, <laughs> we would have really done that. well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, um, um, Western Diamondback, <laughs> yeah, Western <no>. Diamondback. <laughs> I got nothing else. <laughs> I guess it. Yeah. No. Very yeah, cool. that was brutal. Uh, <laughs> Eric, do you want to play that deceptive snake spit? Deceptive snake. Sure. All right. What's yeah. on this clip, Rob? The. So this is the Iranian viper that you were talking about. Love those. Oh things. yeah, we got to talk about oh, this yeah. this snake. Oh my god, it's the coolest snake like, ever. Oh, right. my, my all time favorite venomous, and I don't know why. Oh yeah, but uh, <laughs> deceptive snakes. Okay, here we go. Which, if people haven't seen, look up toad headed agama, and look at its its um, I suppose threat display. It's its you know deterrence. It's got these crazy skin flaps on the side of its head. It like it looks like uh, the Predator or something like that from, well, the film Predator. Absolutely bizarre. I've never seen anything like it. Uranus is is a hotbed for bizarre hepatofauna. Yeah, those agamas are supremely freaky. They just look so strange. I thought it was fake for a long time. That bit coming it out of the side of the fake. head. It looks really fake. It looks like a bearded dragon with two Venus flytraps attached to the side of its face. <laughs> Lizard of Nightmares. Yeah, God. Yeah, comes in, has a, it sort of initially lands sort of on the snake's head, it looks like, or something, and it, and it, the snake, you know, shifts and the bird backs off, goes out of frame, and then comes back for the, the actual lure and goes for the tail, and, what was it, within point two of a second, yeah, the snake's reacted and the bird's been taken. And then it's then it's all over. Point two of a second is faster than the blink of an eye. An average blink of an eye is 0.3 to 0.4 seconds. So these things are fast. And that lure is so irresistible to the bird. Like you said, it comes in once thinking, oh, yeah, spider, that looks delicious. Has a little go. The snake, like you say, shifts. It's like sort of half strike. Yeah. And the, but, uh, yeah, it doesn't look like a full strike, does it? It doesn't. But that freaks the bird out enough that it goes. But then a second back, a second later, <laughs> the, the, all the while the lure is going and the bird's just like... Uh oh oh that is a spider it goes back in so yeah. the lure is so tempting that the bird immediately forgets the fact that it dies with death tries again and then inevitably gets murdered by the snake absolutely amazing yeah really really cool and I was reading in their methods um, in two and a half years they were looking for these snakes 
and they actually only managed to film one eating once. They got lots of evidence of them doing the luring, but only once did they actually manage to film it. Yes. And the re- I mean that. Yeah. The researchers were all the while hidden in a tent nearby as well. <laughs> And they look like uh, another coral snake called Sinomycurus mcclellandi. Guess the common name. <laughs> um, something about McClellan's <laughs> coral snake? Yeah, so McClellan's coral snake. Um, Dang. Yeah. But then they switch as they get older. It's called an ontogenic colour change. So they change as they get older. We talked about this with the um, Komodo dragons. Yeah. And they switch their coloration from red with black bands to grey on top with orange sides, and begin mimicking the Castor's coral snake. So in short, the Bibron's coral snake begins mimicking McClellan's coral snake, and then, as it gets older, changes its mind and mimics Castor's coral snake, seemingly because McClellan's coral snakes don't get as big as the Bibron's coral snakes, so when they get too big to be realistically considered to be a McClellan's coral snake, they switch over and copy the Castor's coral snake. So, but what's bizarre, really, or actually might not be the case, but Biberons and McCallans separated by over a thousand kilometres. That's a long way, isn't it? They're not even like close to being sympatric. Yes. Which led me down a wonderful rabbit hole. Because <laughs> I was like, what? Oh, that makes no sense. How can they mimic something they're not even... What? It's the birds. This doesn't... Yeah, well, that was my first thing. Is it? it must just be an animal ranging all over that space, and therefore it can carry the knowledge back and forth. But I wasn't particularly satisfied with that answer because, well, I thought of it, and I wanted something a bit, <laughs> a bit more thorough than me just being like, oh, yeah, it's probably just birds. Very, very cool. I mean... Uh, that's awesome. Like <laughs> like I said, that snake is just nuts. <laughs> it, it, it's crazy. Yeah. It is my favorite venomous just because of, first off, how it looks, and then how it does the luring in. It's just like like you said, where it's like apparently so damn tempting that this bird will forget everything else around it, like cameras, tent, researchers, the fact that it nearly died once. It's like, yeah, all right. So that's awesome. Yeah. I think if we've learned anything from these uh, interactions between birds and snakes, well, birds and reptiles with the alligators and the storks, birds really need to work on their impulse control. <laughs> <laughs> Who's stick? It's like, no, stupid. Yeah. <laughs> Spider. Oh, snake. Spider. Like, Come on. You had every chance to survive, but you didn't. <laughs> this is Darwinism in, like, full-blown form. You guys it really, really aren't smart enough to survive. So yeah. that's I think, uh, awesome. I think the dream the dream for us is that someone's going to do some really in-depth ecological studies on that spider-tailed, pit vi- well, spider-tailed viper. And, uh, yeah, we can cover it in full on the podcast. That would be awesome. That's nice. Be marvelous. Yeah. So, a bit of space ecology in there? Yeah. <laughs> or so lack thereof. <laughs> what are some of the pleasantries as well as difficulties that you guys have kind of discovered with doing a podcast? Hmm. Pleasantries. Um, I don't know. I just I'm always just really excited whenever someone gets in touch with us and says that they've enjoyed mm-hmm. something, or you know, we often get well, often, you know, we get the odd email from people who say, you know, this has spurred me on to do some more research on this, or we quite often get people who are actually um, investing 
themselves get in touch, often to correct us when we make mistakes, because we do a <laughs> lot. Um, yeah, but, that's... yeah. Yeah, yeah like, that, I think that's it for me, is, is, is getting in touch with the guys on the ground doing the research. That is such an incredible highlight for me, because it's, you know, talk about from the horse's mouth. That's amazing. You've got mm-hmm. these guys doing the research, everybody's all in the same boat, we're all working towards the same eventual goal of protecting Herbert Fauna. And uh, you've, you basically, in an instant, you've gone from talking about this paper that you've just sort of read and tried to understand to talking about the person, talking to the person who wrote it or someone who is currently working on other stuff. And that like fast access to experts. Mm. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's second to yeah. none. I love that. Yeah. So often people get in touch and they're like, oh, I heard you covered this. You know, that was cool. I actually, you know, worked with that researcher. I was actually doing the field work. And you get such fascinating insights people like that. Things which just, you know, little tidbits of information that wouldn't make it to publication that, you know, you just got a front seat to, which is, which is great. And the other thing it's made me realize is that just like everyone who's interested in reptiles will be your friend if you also like reptiles. So it's like, it's, it's, it's like this tiny world. I mean, like, you know, a few years ago, I was listening to you guys or a podcast, and now I, I know all these people, um, you know, and, and through, through research, you know, I met Marco Shea recently, who when I was a kid, I was watching on TV, and, you know, I just met him, and what did we do? We just cool. sat there and talked about reptiles like it was nothing. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, it's great. Like, it's such a small world. It's such a, it's a pleasure to be a part of it, and it's, a, it's really nice to, you know, be putting something out which we're getting good feedback on as well mm. very cool yeah, I, I, I'd, yeah have, I'd have mark o'shea sign my rough scale python so i just you know <laughs> you're gonna have to tattoo it <laughs> yeah yeah that'll that won't hurt him at all it'll be fine yeah well he can sign your tattoo owen of your rough scale you python on your shoulder there, there you go, go. you can get it tattooed right on I there i can get the pain there you go <laughs> that won't be a weird conversation to have with mark o'shea at all <laughs> Can you sign this and I'll get it tattooed over? Yeah. Just, yeah. Just oh, I thought you were making him do that tattoo. Exactly. There you go. Even better. Let's see how horrible we can get this so he'll never come on the podcast. Yeah. Uh, so. yeah. <laughs> oh, fabulous. That's awesome. I think if you're going to get anyone to sign your body, it's important to build up a rapport first. Oh, yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely. So we're all that was a pleasant <laughs> of course, not even looking. So those are the pleasantries. Have you guys kind of felt with like any kind of difficulty? Because I know with us, when we first started, the difficulty was the being the consistent. And, mm-hmm. you know, that was something that, you know, we had to have. Don't say apparently. I, okay. <laughs> that was somebody my slave driver really, really wanted was <laughs> consistency. And he hammered yeah. that point home. So, I mean, has there been anything kind of like that where you guys kind of really had to struggle a little bit? I mean, it's, yeah, logistics is, is top billing. I mean, I'm I'm sitting here talking to you guys. I'm using 4G on my phone. So I'm hotspot in a uh, not fantastic room for this with nighttime <laughs> noises in the background. So certainly, you know, power could drop out any second. That's always a, the fear in your back of your mind or, you know, whatever internet goes down it's 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 always a worry and trying to juggle that with quite a busy schedule and the time zone uh time difference yeah mm-hmm. that gets a little bit awkward um i think our two weeks gives us a little bit of a buffer but 
Yeah, I would, yeah. That's, that's, that's top difficulty. Yeah. yeah, saying that though, we are also actually overdue a podcast as we speak. We're actually a bit <laughs> behind, aren't we? Because I just moved house. So. Yeah. Well, there was another we big logistical thing. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm actually sat in the upstairs bedroom of a friend of mine's house because I don't have my own internet connection anymore. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, there you go. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I noticed it was late. I wasn't sure if you guys were, you know, counting this one as an appearance or, you know, as a... As a you could. Official. I mean... Whatever, just we we'll, we'll let you. So we might have to do we might have to do two back to back later on in the week. We've got one we've got one kind of semi prepared, I think. So yeah, we we'll just we've got we've got two semi prepared. Oh, have we? Okay, what's the semi? <laughs> yeah, we got this. Don't worry about it. Okay, yeah. see, that, you can see who the like slave driver is in our relationship. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is a familiar yeah. conversation. Oh, you know, we have a show. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what? Yes. <laughs> yeah. I do the I turn I turn up and I do the social media kind of logistics. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Do you have a favorite show? Yeah. Of mm-hmm. our own. Uh, hmm. <laughs> favorite. Do you have a favorite, like, Ben? Well, how about you play that? The play the frog noise thing so that you yeah. give them a little time to think. Let about them it. think. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Ponder yeah. on that while we listen to. The frog. Yet another clip. I guess the closest group we could put them all in would be Habitats. Habitats and space is how I would group them. Yeah. But space in the sense of like the use of space on on Earth. Oh yeah, not space (laughs) mates. Yeah, not like aeronautical space animals. Haven't got that far yet. Chinese dragons. (laughs) Yeah. They drove boats over the fish, and these fish use uh, sounds as a means of gathering together during their breeding season. So basically, they all make a noise, and it attracts them all to come to one place and spawn. Um, and when they flew boats, when they flew, when they drove boats, what do you call it when you're driving? Is it driving a boat? Well, it would be sailing. Sailing, but, but with an engine. With a, because otherwise, a sailing boat would be silent and would kind of ruin the point of their noise study. Probably drive a boat. Then. Yeah, you drive, <laughs> they drove the boats. Anyway, they drove the boats over these fish. They drove the boat. <laughs> drove boat over the fish. Yeah. <laughs> Still doesn't sound right. Yeah. yeah doesn't make any sense. It, it, well, it, it, if it's got a motor, I think you drive the boat. If it's got a sail, you sail the boat. If it's got yeah. an oar, you row the boat. So okay. uh, I've now just figured all this yeah. out. Yeah. Done. Where were you when we needed to? <laughs> I was here. <laughs> Call me whenever. I'm fine with it. So, yeah. Um, Yeah, so your favorite episode, I've got two, I think. Um, One is Slimy Salamander Sociality, which was like episode 16. Um, Mm -hmm. I I like that one because um, salamanders just steal genes from all over the place. They're like these terrible little slimy monsters. It doesn't make any sense. Um, Yeah, and mating systems of salamanders are possible to comprehend. That was really cool. And I think... What made that one fun is that prior to reading about it, me and Ben literally didn't know anything about it. Um, so we kind of went yeah, away. I was so blind on that episode. Yeah, we went away, we did our reading, we came back, and I was like, mate, did you know that salamanders can steal genes from other salamanders that aren't the same species and make, like, super salamanders? And he was just like, yeah, what is going on? And so that made <laughs> it a fun episode. Um, wow. Yeah, and the other one was uh, Sicilians, the recent Sicilian we did. It was, like, three or four episodes ago, I think. Um, for for similar reasons, in that Sicilians were just these kind of mysterious underground 
wacky, sharky, amphibian monstrosities that were a complete mystery to me and seemingly the scientific community as well in many ways. Um, so, yeah, just learning more about those and chatting about that was wicked. Cool. Yeah, I think mine would be the uh, Anoli slash Anolis episode. We had that paper that basically flipped the table on um, Anolis territori- territoriality by looking at the gene flow and their use of space. That just, abs- oh, man, that, yeah. that paper just alone, dude, if I could one day do a study that comprehensive and that fundamentally brilliant, um, um. I'd, I'd die a happy man. That would just be pure, <laughs> pure gold. Yeah. I think that just yeah, sticks that... with me because I was just so blown away by the... I just wanted to talk about every single little aspect of that thing. It's so exciting. Yeah. That's the sexual selection one that was just completely bonkers with the females. Yeah, 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 yeah. Pulling all the strings. Yeah, that really changed my perspective on a lot of mating systems. It really blew it open a lot. I, I really like that well, one Well, exactly. Too. Then you start second-guessing everything, don't you? It's like all these basic natural history things you yeah. take for red. Oh, if you haven't yeah. looked at it in enough detail from enough different angles, ah, you could just be peddling lies. Who knows? Yeah, and... And all the examples they use in that paper of like mating systems, which had been, you know, really widely believed to be true, like the, you know, like deer having harems and stuff like that. And then, and pigeons, well, well, even pigeons like, yeah, and having all these like, you know, really fundamental ecological mating systems that everyone believes and has been in textbooks for hundreds of years. And then it turns out that the female deer are all cheating on their partners and the pigeons are going off and <laughs> all over the place. You're just like, what's going on, nature? Like, is nothing sacred yeah. anymore? Yeah. I thought we understood it. <laughs> yeah. that, was that was our first Apparently mistake. Not. Thinking we understood anything. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> right on. Well, um, another thing, kind of along the same vein, and I want to give you some time to think. So we have one more clip that we'll play. But while we're thinking about that, I wanted to ask. Uh, which of you, if, if either, designs the artwork that accompanies each each one? And if you have any favorite, favorites out of those, you have so many at this point. Ooh. Well, that's, oh. that's me in charge of yeah. sorting that I, stuff I, out. I, Ben's in charge of all the art. Like, Ben is the incredibly talented one of the two. I can't even draw a stick man. So, um, yeah. Ben, <laughs> Ben's well, yeah, but you make fantastic. the less, less, you just need one. One line for a snake, maybe a, another two for the tongue sticking out. So really, they're easier than stick men. Right. Yeah. yeah, no. So um, yeah, I think yeah, you just had the idea to start drawing uh, kind of like cartoony figures for the episodes and for kind of like merchandise yeah. and stuff. And it just went when I get a bit of yeah, time, so I can do one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Favorite one's got to be the well, eyelash viper, though. Hundred well, percent. Those guys are absolutely okay. beautiful. I was gonna say, play the clip, and you guys think about it. You guys yeah. okay. while we play this last clip. But there's a whole bunch of families of annuants that have these alkaloids. And what sort of blew my mind was how many different types of alkaloids there are. I mean, just take a guess how many alkaloids have been found in these frogs. Ooh, let's think. Okay, sensible guess. 65? 850. Whoa, that's mental. And those are all individual kind of noxious, poisonous compounds that could do a predator harm. Um, whether they're all, all noxious and there's all the alkaloids, I'm, I'm not sure if all of them would be harmful or not. I'm sure some are relatively benign. But 433 of those are found in Mentella, and they're the second most alkaloid-rich family of frogs out there. 
Cool. That's quite a, quite a claim to fame. 266 of them are unique to Mantella as well, which is and pretty so wicked. Is that because those 266 are unique to the invertebrate fauna of Madagascar? Well, perhaps. This is this is something something we don't know. Certainly some of it could be being uh, generated by the frog. So far, only 9% of the 850 alkaloids found have been shown to have a direct dietary origin. Oh wow! So there's a there's a lot of room for um uh what's what's the word for oh fab fabrication I guess fabric no fabrication isn't the right word no but I know what you mean like Ge- just... generating these alkaloids you know yeah. within the frog itself yeah not simply sequestering them from their prey species yes manufacturing yeah. them these all sound very, these are all very industrial words and yeah. that's not what I'm looking for I like the idea of a frog <laughs> manufacturing something that's quite funny. Tiny factory of frogs. Yeah. <laughs> Busy away in the leaf litter. His boss is giving him a hard time. Or yeah, two, and it would. It, it it feels solvable, doesn't it? Yeah, and it would be quite fun to set up some kind of frog arena where the males have a chance to learn how to fight before they go into the wild. <laughs> a frog arena. Yeah, come gonna... on. <laughs> Look, I didn't get into the, I didn't get into this conservation <laughs> business to help animals. I want to see them fight. <laughs> Fight for my enjoyment. <laughs> go, Goldie, go. <laughs> go, Goldie, yeah. 20 bucks on Goldie. They're both called Goldie now. <laughs> Goldie A, five. <laughs> well, I, I just wanted to sort of get your get your opinion on it, the, the idea of setting up a captive breeding population and then selling them on to uh, the pet market as a way to counter poaching and taking from wild populations and whether that is actually something that's should be encouraged and is ethical and would actually help reduce poaching or it's going to just sort of not because poaching is still going to be quite cheap isn't it so so um i think fundamentally it's a good idea and it comes from the right place i'm no expert in this so a lot of what i'm going to say is probably just conjecture and nonsense but my fear would be that the way I perceive trade in rare and endangered species to work is that the very thing which makes them attractive is the tra- the fact that they're rare to a lot of people. And so um, it could be that once you flood the market in this way, um, the market may not stay flooded for long. Because I hear from sort of like hobbyists of uh, snakes and stuff, you know, num- numerous friends that we share of hobbyists, I keep snakes, and, you know. And they say a lot of people who are a bit older talk about times where certain species which are really hard to get hold of now have been really, really popular and like really hard to get and really expensive. Um, And then likewise, similarly, there's species which in the past have been really abundant and easy to get hold of, which are now really, really difficult to get hold of. And my concern would be that there wasn't enough people who were interested in keeping these animals as pets if they weren't easy to keep that eventually the interest would wane because they were common and then it wouldn't be reasonable for the people who initially flooded the market as a means of conserving them to keep doing so and they'd eventually wind up 10 years down the line 15 years down the line being just as rare as they initially were without any impetus for anyone to keep flooding the market and the whole cycle would repeat itself and they've got these these beautiful yellow spots just on their sort of rear flanks which i presume is where the name's coming from maculata, yeah the groin the groin is that well they called it they called it the uh inguinal region 
And I was yes. like, what's an inguinal region? Where's my inguinal region? <laughs> and um, <laughs> and I just Googled it and it said the groin of an animal. Well, I suppose it's because frogs are all backwards, aren't they? Mm, yeah. They're, yeah. I mean, that's why they were once known as the back to front. Jumpy man. <laughs> what is that? Oh, well, that's the back to front all upside down, lives in a stream, jumpy man. I like to call him the fly eater. <laughs> you know, the leaf litter bug muncher. <laughs> <laughs> the leaf litter bug muncher. <laughs> oh, that's spot on. Um, and they spend about 120 days in the torrent eating algae before they metamorphose. And that's actually the longest amount of time this creature ever spends not subterranean. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's quite cool, that's, isn't it? That's their outdoors life. Yeah. Kind of like if humans went to primary school as normal and then thereafter lived in a subterranean dungeon and <laughs> only emerging for one week of the year when it was raining to copulate furiously with everyone else who'd also emerged. See, that's that's a very different... Uh, I'm just thinking of the film Time Machine now. <laughs> so it's a very, very the different Morlocks. film. yeah. For for us, it's a terrible dystopian nightmare, but for Bapati's purple frog, it's just another day at the office. Oh, you don't know. They might be they might be tragically depressed every day of their life. They might hate it. It might be a dystopian future for these poor frogs. Do you think like time slows to a the grinding halt and they just pray for rain? <laughs> and then it's gone in an instant. Oh man, terrible. Oh, what yeah, what is their perception of time even like? How the fr- how the frogs perceive time? There's a, there's a PhD for you. There's a that's not a PhD. That's like that's the beginnings <laughs> of an existential crisis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're probably not wrong. That's awesome. Oh man, so, that's fabulous. So, is there <laughs> anything you guys have kind of learned while doing the podcast that is really blown your mind further with your whole keeping and uh, just basic reptile, how you approach reptiles? Well, hold on. First, I got to answer about the art. I know. Oh yeah. First, I got to uh, answer about the art. Sorry. The then we can talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, so the art, um, I've got a few favorites. Ben did a Brachesia stunt, the uh, big trouble in little chameleons episode. Uh-huh. Like mm. Yeah. Tiny little micro chameleon on a stick. Um, yeah, that's just awesome with his little horse. And uh, yeah, the uh, I really liked the one recently. In fact, it was our last episode, um, which was also about chameleons. Chameleon. Yeah. So that chameleon is actually based upon a photo that uh, Jan, who I was talking about earlier, one of my supervisors took of one of the flat neck chameleons that I actually studied. I actually know that chameleon. Um, we aren't, we're not friends, <laughs> but yeah, I think it's a really, really awesome rendition of that animal. So I'm a big fan of that one. Um, and then finally, uh, I mean, I like them all a lot, but the anaconda from the anaconda episode, uh-huh. it just looks so quizzical and kind of confused and harmless, um, and innocent. I really one like that one. Non-grumpy animals. Yeah. Yeah. You do, you do have a tendency to make. All the animals you draw look absolutely livid. Yeah. <laughs> well, that works. It just sort of happens that way. I mean, but the chameleon was livid, so that works. Too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Fair enough. <laughs> oh, gosh.
Well, that's great. Um, yeah, so go ahead, Owen, if you want to repeat uh, just, that question. I was just saying, if there's anything you guys have learned on the podcast that have kind of changed how you go about uh, either research or keeping your animals, because, I mean, I know with over the years with me and Eric, learning and talking with all these people has definitely put my perspective kind of on its head a few times. So is there anything mm. that's happened with you guys like that? Hmm. Um, in terms of keeping, I'm not sure. Like, um, I think, uh, learning about, I mean, just how incredibly deadly boa constrictors are and how, <laughs> how they kill things, um, really found respect for the ones that I have. And I was just, every time I look at them now, I just think, my goodness me, you are like the pinnacle of millions of years of being the best at killing. So, yeah, I don't know if it's necessarily changed the way I keep them, but definitely very regularly things we read about on the podcast change my perspective on, like, complexity of nature. And I think because we decided to do a podcast yeah. called Herpetological Highlights, so it encapsulates, like I said earlier, um, you know, frogs, uh, Sicilians. These were animals which, although I kind of, like, admired them from a distance, I never really had the impetus to read about and learn about and actually, like, fully appreciate the, like, bizarreness of so there was a paper a few weeks ago uh we did an episode called uh duplicitous dendrobatids and uh yeah the paper in that which is actually from this year it's still brand new fresh and there's a frog dendrobates tinctorius which um from far away is like supremely well camouflaged it does blend in it has like bright colored bands but then when you get close up to it it's like supremely obvious it stands out and just the notion that an animal could be camouflaged far away and then like extremely glaringly obvious and threatening from close up was like a bit of a revelation to me I never really considered that camouflage could be so like, multifaceted and things like that just really get me going whenever something like that comes out you're just like whoa you just have to kind of take stock and yeah that's that's probably my favorite thing about it hmm yeah it's catching those new perspectives I mean for me I suppose it's a little bit of a cheat because you uh, maybe put a little bit more effort into papers that may be directly applicable to research in Southeast Asia. So I suppose a very boring answer is ecological niche modeling. I've still <laughs> taken some methods from some of the papers we've read, but I mean, like in terms of keeping absolutely nothing, I mean, I don't, I don't keep reptiles and never have. So that's a complete blank for me. And uh, yeah, my answer is boring and dry and, it's, it's all about computer <laughs> models. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fine. I, right? So that's the good news. Yeah. 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 That's fine. So let me see what else um, we got here so for out you of guys. The, yeah, out of the that artwork rough. thing, I wanted to hit on uh, the the Red Bubble shop that you guys put up where you can get some stickers and mm. things. I know I got some stickers and cups and things and whatever. So uh, that's really cool if you wanted to chat that up a little bit. I'm sure you can get some sales out of it because, again, that artwork that you're doing, Ben, is awesome. Oh, it is. Thanks. Yeah, we've got some plans for some more, hopefully, when I get the time in between <laughs> everything else. <laughs> <laughs> so. yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, we do. We sell a few T-shirts and stuff, the odd, the odd one here and there. We had someone send us a photo of them drinking coffee out of their mug recently, which was nice. Someone bought a mug with a massive toad on it. Yeah, so that was cool. Yeah, so yeah, the, the the toad is so sinister. The toad is every expression at once. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah, 
A mug with a really scary toad on it. Yeah, the Hurt Pilot's Red Bubble Shop is your your one stop shop, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, uh, how does that work? Do you just go? Is it like any other kind of merchandise shop online, or uh, is there a certain amount of orders that have to be placed before stuff gets filled? Oh, I know. It's, it's all on demand. You order it, you'll get it. Job done. Um, Sweet. Yeah. 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 <laughs> nice and simple. Probably shipping, I think. Okay. I think it is. Yeah, Red Bubble's connected all over the world, so they just take care of yeah, it. Yeah, there you go. Ben just uploads pictures and then that's it. Yeah, nice high res stuff. Job done. Cool. <clears throat> so as we're Eric, do you ending have something our... else? Yeah, I didn't no, I was going to ask that. We always ask uh, a question in the closing uh, for our guest as we're about to close. Oh, okay. So, um, if you guys could herp anywhere in the world without limitations, there's money, getting there, et cetera, et cetera, where would you go and what would you hope to see? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that's easy for me. I would want to go to Costa Rica. Um, because, well, principally because there are eyelash palm pit vipers there, Bothriaca schlegeli, which um, mm. I've only seen once in a pet shop, and oh my goodness me, the yellow ones with their yeah. little eyelashes, those things are unreal. So yeah, that would be number one thing. Also, they've got that subspecies of um, the yellow-bellied sea snake, which we talked about on the podcast, which is like bright yellow, and apparently uh-huh. if you go snorkeling in that little, um, I can't remember the name of the sea, but isolated inland sea and if you go there apparently those those uh, sea snakes are easy to find so i'd be wanting to bob around in the surf for a little while and see some of those <laughs> very cool awesome yeah. very, very cool what about you ben? Uh, i think i'd have to I'd, i think i'd have to head to indonesia i haven't had the mm-hmm. chance to see komodo dragons and i think that they are absolutely top of my list of species to see like i'd, I'd just Regardless of whatever else is there, it's just I go see Komodo dragons. That's what I'd use it for. I, it may be a bit of a waste, though. I should go for somewhere no. more exotic or weird, but no. Massive no, lizards. <laughs> Giant <laughs> lizards, yeah. 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 Um, well, kind of the other question we ask is um, what reptile would you keep? But we're kind of going to change it for you guys and would be what reptile would you want to build a research study around? Ooh. Yeah, that is, oh, that, that is good. And you I must answer now. So. <laughs> okay. Go. Oh, I tell you what. Um, oh, uh, Bushmaster. The Bushmaster. What a Bushmaster. Do? I'd love to know. Um, <laughs> yeah. Bushmaster. Yeah. Yeah. What are they? Yeah. Cool. I, it, 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 you know, right. uh, it's not a bad shout. Yeah, there's a good chance they'll be relatively relatively sedentary. We already know I don't like doing a lot of hard work. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they are massive. They're amazing. They're like supremely venomous. You know, you know, pit vipers. I mean, what more could you want? So, right. yeah. Uh, what are they? Yeah, everything about bushmasters. I'd like to. Bushmasters would be it for me. Cool. And I think I would go with some sort of Southeast Asian crocodilian, like a gharial. Oh, jeez. Okay. So, double-edged sword. <laughs> super friend. Super awesome. They're also big enough tracker on and that means way better data analysis potential <laughs> which okay that's not quite a boring reason to pick them but you know i'd like a break from 
shaky VHF radio telemetry data and get some really nice GPS <laughs> data on a really vulnerable <laughs> special species. I could work with that. You just want to, yeah, you can do that remotely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, glorious. Get, yeah, really <laughs> fancy <laughs> GPS stuff that just shoots it to satellites. Yeah. Man, that's a future. <laughs> following it around. You just chill in the office. Yeah, data comes to me. <laughs> yeah. Cool. The ideal research. It's awesome. Yeah. So, I do, and I do have one last question, and it's a closing question. It kind of like I hope I phrased this right, but um, oh, here we go. You know the the no no no. The idea <laughs> is like when you're when you keep a reptile, you 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 become uh, most people become fascinated by it and want to figure out where it's from and you know what's the environment like. Some people even like myself uh, headed to and Rob are headed to Australia at the end of the month just to see the environment and see you know this snake that I love so much. Um, you know, to see it in its natural environment and what it does and et cetera, et cetera. So how can the average, you know, keeper, you know, try to help the conservation side of, uh, you know, reptiles um, so that that doesn't get overlooked? Because really that, you know, you would hope that you would want to protect the environment that that reptile that you love is from. Mm. Any thoughts? Um, well, I think there's probably a few different ways you could go about that. Um, I mean, just reptiles in general, just like talking about snakes all the time and, you know, mm-hmm. sharing your enthusiasm for snakes. I mean, as Ben was saying earlier, these are some of the most maligned animals on the earth. Despite the fact that we all are completely obsessed and love them, the vast majority, I mean, you only have to go on Facebook and see a post, any, any post about someone finding a rattlesnake and one in every four people will be saying, let's kill it. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, just, just like sharing, sharing your interest, I think would probably be a positive thing. Um, and there are, you know, there's various organizations that you can uh, donate to and things like that as well. Um, yeah, but I mean, and then, and there again, if you're, if you're fortunate enough to be in a position where you can do some volunteering, uh, you know, devote some of your time. I mean, that's where me and Ben met. We met volunteering in, in the jungle, you know, giving up some, some months to, to go out and actually gather some information on these animals. Um, and it's, such a privilege to be able to do that um so yeah mm-hmm. if that's something which you can consider then yeah that's kind of the the ultimate i suppose what, what would you say ben i think the attitude thing is a is a big a big step yeah um especially for your snake stuff uh i think possibly one of the one of the i'm good I'm, I'm sure i'm going to make a lot of you know irritate a lot of people but uh, beef industry is such an absolute nightmare. Beef and palm oil for habitat destruction. Mm-hmm. Like, I know it's, it's, it's several steps uh, of thought down the line that you're actually impacting uh, snakes and reptiles that you found sort of fascinating. But mm-hmm. learning about those, this is a geography background coming out in me, learning about those connections of what you're consuming in X place and how it's affecting Y and trying to link those sort of things up and uh, connect that back to the animals that you adore. Um, for sure and wrapping that all up in a more sort of holistic uh mindset with the way you look at ecosystems in the world yeah it's it's not the easiest thing to do but um i think if you've got something quite uh potent like a love of reptiles it can motivate a lot of people and uh get that behavioral change which sort of needs to happen at some point and the sooner mm-hmm. the better 
Yeah, I don't yeah. think you'd make anybody yeah. mad with that. I mean, <laughs> mm-hmm. I would tend to agree, but seems pretty um, reasonable, actually. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I don't know. It's awesome uh, talking with you guys and to actually learn about you guys personally. Uh, you know, has uh, has been great. Um, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, I don't know if you want to throw out any, you know, website, email. I mean, do you take requests for shows? Does that work like that? Or <laughs> I don't know. How do you... uh, we kind of like loosely do. Um, we have a page okay. which people can request, but like equally, if okay. people get in touch with us and want to ask questions and stuff, we always do. But before I say that, uh, yeah, just thank you so much for having us on. Like, um, yeah, thank yeah, you. It's been good. It's Absolutely. Great. Thanks for giving us a platform to talk about ourselves some clips um it's really great to have a, a chat with you guys after listening for ages and well, having all three of you as well it's, it's been awesome. um, yeah it's really really cool. cool uh yeah there's, um there's numerous ways that you can get in touch with us we're on facebook um just search for herpsological highlights similarly twitter um you can get in touch with us via email herpheightgmail.com um yeah i think that just about rounds it off doesn't it ben i think that's about it yeah, I mean, the, the podcast is pretty easily findable on iTunes and uh, Podbean and various other podcast distributing networks. Others are available. Uh, okay. Yeah, go look in and you'll find it. Awesome. I did put the link to the sh- to, to your guys' website in the show description. So just scroll down oh, and, you know, the listeners, they can go right to, uh, to their website. Um, so... Again, man, keep up the great work. Uh, keep those yeah. shows rolling, and uh, look forward to the next one. So, hey, well, thank awesome. you guys. Thank you very much for having us on. Yeah, thanks, guys. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. Good night. Awesome. Good day. Whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, all, it's all of them. It's all of the above. <laughs> yeah. Have a great morning, brother. All right. You too. All right. Uh, thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Good stuff. Uh, I highly recommend, uh, you know, I mean, uh, there, if you, you even have the remote interest in reptiles, uh, I call it, uh, looking under the hood, uh, if you would say, you know, I mean, like everybody seems to be, uh, uh, obsessed with the, uh, the paint job or the pattern or whatever, but, uh, you know, these guys uh, jump into what's going on underneath the hood of how these snakes and reptiles and amphibians work. Um, so uh, you're for sure to get some kind of insight uh, listening to the show. So uh, I highly recommend checking it out. Uh, you got any thoughts? I, I know you're a, you're a hardcore fan like me, Rob. What do you think? Yeah, no, I thought it was great. And I, uh, you know, I thought the clips were fun. It, to me, it's, you know, what I said to them where it's just, it's so uh, they make the information so accessible, but they're also having a great time when they're doing it, um, and that makes it really <laughs> fun to listen to. You know, I know I was trying to figure out who's the Eric and who's the Owen, and like, and you know, and I'm listening to those guys go back and forth. And I'm like, ah, oh, see, Owen, that's uh, you know, that's that's how podcast host and co-host and uh, co-host talk to each other. You know, <laughs> oh, oh, so so what? We're... <laughs> yeah, just take little jabs at each other all the time. Are you saying are you saying that studying cobras more, is better than pit vipers? Pit vipers better there. than cobras, you know? Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, let's go back to your dirt-colored uh, carpet pythons. I mean, we can yeah. do that all day. <laughs> exactly. Okay. But yeah. um, you know, for sure. 
Um, you, and then and uh, the, the, that one jab I still have never ever gotten over, where you were like the I have high dollar animals in bins, and you have great cages. And I'm like, what? <laughs> that was early. Oh, and how you stopped? That was like thirds of the way through. That was like two thirds of the way through. You stopped. <laughs> yeah. God. Oh that's not going to end. You realize good, what you're about so. to say. You just stop. He's going to keep going. Just... <sighs> oh gosh. For sure, but uh, so the real yeah. question well, is whether you two are going to have another show tonight so that I can have something to listen to. Nope, sorry, um, you got one. That would be <laughs> unfortunately, Rob. And this is not bullshit. You can only do one show a day. So, oh, um, and we will not be back. What here a shame. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, a shame. what a shame. You know, yeah. it's bad enough that I had to explain to Jim that I needed the day off to do record an episode for the podcast. And he was studying around the office telling me how he was uh, had to struggle to work at the office by himself. And I'm like, but Rob and Eric asked. And he goes, well, well, if Rob and Eric ask, I'm like, so wait, if I ask, it's a no go. But if those guys ask, <laughs> So yeah. Okay. Don't worry. Next time you need uh, a day off, Owen, just hit me up and I'll hit I'll hit oh, Big yeah. Jim up. You'll call and, it. Uh, okay, good. I'll yeah. I'll get you off. Uh, no. Thanks. Problem. Thank you, Rob. Don't pull that clip. Do not pull that clip. Don't. don't. <laughs> <laughs> what I just said. Do not ever pull that clip. Dead, no. <laughs> oh, to add that in from now on, it's like Rob, this one's yeah. off limits. Yeah. Yes. You know, ten years from now, well, Rob's gonna be pulling that clip. A, puts a big yellow highlighter around it. You know, it just says, mm, that was really Dance nice. one. Yeah. Damn it. Um, but uh, so for our listeners, I would say that the episode that you guys should delve into first would be the uh, bodacious boas. I, I think that uh, you guys will really get um, a new insight into the way constriction constriction works. Um, because I think Rob, you were saying in our little chat that, you know, if you asked probably most keepers out there or people that are even interested in snakes, you know, how do bones and pythons work? They would say constriction is uh, suffocation. Um, but there's so much more going on. Um, it just blows my mind, you know? Yeah. So I would say that would be the episode to, uh, to jump into and then you're going to be hooked, you know? So. Especially Morelia people in general, yeah, I find totally. them to be uh, attend uh, a, li- a bit more, uh, I guess, geekier would be the word, uh, <laughs> figuring out what's under the hood. You know what I mean? <laughs> so a little bit, yeah, yeah, no, totally. Yeah. And I mean, heck, if you like Owen, there's plenty of, uh, you know, plenty of little side commentary and stuff, and. British humor and those sorts of things. I'm glad we didn't mention that. I thought they were from the colonies to start with, so that was good. <laughs> oh, Rob. <laughs> oh, Rob. Thank you so much. <laughs> this has been two. Uh, this has been two weeks in a row of Rob. I mean, you know, this is. Uh, we've been using up our Rob Stone power because then he's I don't coming think I was back here last week, was it? No, I'm sorry. It was the week, week before. before. It's just my week presence before. is so. It just bleeds into one. I'm sorry. It feels like it's all one thing, yeah. Well, and you're going to be back on later when you guys get back from Australia. So, you know, there's that. Yeah, I can't believe how close that is. Yeah, well, I mean, I told you. We're like right around the corner Yeah, I guess we actually got to start nailing that stuff down. Packing, uh, Well, we're turning (laughs) up one way or another. It's a question of uh, (laughs) what we have. If we're ready? Whatever. (laughs) Yeah. 
We're, just remember, we just gotta be ready to play, man. Just remember, it. Ready if, to play. If, bo- if both of you were eaten by crocodiles, that will be the end of NPR. So one of you has to come back. So well, we'll do the best yeah. we can. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna try my best, man. I, I okay. do not plan on uh, getting eaten by a crocodile, but uh, no, I, does anybody really ever? If plan I do, on getting eaten by a crocodile, I mean, you ever see that video of the saltwater croc flipping around the little pig? Yes, <laughs> that's gonna be about the uh, extent. <laughs> if I got eaten by a crocodile, yeah. <laughs> see, flipping that's around. the problem. Is I'm trying to clean the house, and I guess because the Irwins now have a new TV show on Animal Planet, mm-hmm. um, Animal Planet all day Sunday was showing like the best of Steve Irwin. So I'm like, I'll mm-hmm. just tune this on, and then I'll clean the house. Nothing got done. Nothing got done on the house because it was like <laughs> I remember this episode, and then I was glued to the television. So yeah, yeah don't be like that. <clears throat> I will try not to. But, you Good. know, Rob, he's always saying, uh, you know, <laughs> just be ready to play. So, you know, sometimes oh, you yeah, be ready yeah. to play, man. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we only have a few more shows before we are done for the year. And then uh, so we gear it up for next year. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy, man. This this year just was like a blink. It's done. Yeah. You know? But, um, okay. Um, yeah, it's. 12 o'clock in the afternoon our time so i'm looking forward to having the rest of my day where i don't have to worry about lunch. the show tonight you know <laughs> go get a haircut lunch uh, have some lunch go clean some yeah. uh some snakes and then uh you know relax for the day so awesome but um yeah i don't know anything else you guys want to add <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh no nah, i mean like i got a i have a show coming up this saturday uh, at Oaks, and that's pretty much all I got. So if you're in the Oaks, Pennsylvania area, or at the Oaks PA Reptile Show, come by table, say hi. Now, are you going to be anywhere near the uh, from the ground up slash Port City Pythons crew? I hope so, that... because if I am, okay. I'm going to throw stuff <laughs> at them all day. So okay. it's going to be like I'm just going to be making paper airplanes. I'm not even going to sell snakes. I'm just going to be torturing you, them. So you heard it, guys. <laughs> yeah, be ready. Steal their business cards, so <laughs> and burn them like we did to you, or what? That was no, <laughs> I that that was uh, so okay. I had to keep warm, man. It was cold over that year. You Bullshit! Know? You're, you know, <laughs> it was it was the only thing available to burn. I, I that's I'm a so tiny, alive, tiny little guy, man. In the yeah. picture that I still have, Balin is in a t-shirt. See, you know, it's bullshit. I didn't say Balin was cold. I said I was cold. He got tired of hearing me complain that, you know, I was cold. And he's like, listen, you little hobbit, you know, get yourself a chair so you're not down there on the ground. Yeah. (laughs) Cold air sinks, fool. (laughs) He's dying down there. We have to keep him alive. He's like, what do we got to burn? Oh, we'll burn this. He's not. Oh, in business cards. We'll send you pictures. (laughs) Yeah. Good stuff. I've always been disappointed that we haven't brought them in the last few years, you know. I thought you were going to bring a continuous supply, but I don't know. Maybe what, my business playing. cards to burn? Yeah. Yeah, well, well just no. fun, you know. Like, well, the last couple of years I've been there, and you guys couldn't burn my business cards in front of me. Mm. Well, you could have. Well, this year. Did. I guess I'm thinking of this year. We need to grab some, Eric, on the way out. Why do you uh, think I didn't send any with Eric? Because I knew what would happen. Uh, I, true story. Mm. For the record, I did not burn them. So, 
Just saying. I'm, yeah, all it's right. all right. I'm going. <laughs> I'm going through my suitcase, and I found a package of uh, Reading Reptile Breeders business cards and uh, S and J Reptile stickers. And I'm like, this is from that carpet fest where we went, and the bed was covered with them. So yeah. Oh, speaking of a carpet fest, it looks like the yeah. uh, the guys over there in the UK have uh, said announced the time of year it's going to be. So I think it's going to be <laughs> summer of 2019. Um, so that's probably Sweet. very doable uh, for me to uh, make the trip. Well, across. unless it's in June of 2019. Well, yeah, that's true. I mean, if they pick the same day that uh, Northeast Carpet Fest, who knows? Maybe, you know, I... What, you going to leave? I'll go to Are you... Sorry, uh, Owen, you're on your is, own. That is the worst decision you could possibly do. I mean... Figure it out. <laughs> that is a uh, horrible choice. Uh, it's a true story. But, uh, yeah, I would, uh, I would so look forward to going over and uh, putting names with faces of all the... The people uh, over there, and uh, I, I guess it's going to be where did they say it was going to be at? Uh, Brigham? Uh, is is Yoda? Yeah, Birmingham, I think, is where uh, where yeah where they're out of. So I mean, that's a bit of a you know you got to get there from London or whatever, but it, it's not a bad trip, man. It's really not. So either in terms of um, price or, or difficulty or any of that, so. Yeah, totally Rob was doable. just there. He just went the wrong time of year. Yes. So. Yeah. <laughs> right. Cool. All right. Well, I guess we will uh, close out the the show. Um, and uh, yeah, thanks again to the to the guys from uh, Herpetological Highlights. Uh, for sure, check it out. Um, and next week, I don't remember who's on next week. So. Um, oh God. Damn it! I didn't fill it out. Uh, so I'll figure it out. All, the only thing I know is next week there will be a show. So how about that? Yes. <laughs> At our regularly scheduled regular time. time. Um, yeah. So look forward to that. Um, yeah. So for us, our website is Morelia Pie. Oh, I got a the calendars. Um, so. I think it's uh, actually going to be an awesome year. People have already started putting um, prepaying for them. Um, nice. Basically, uh, I hope to have everything squared away um, by the time that Casey comes back. He just left for Australia, and yes. he will be back right before we leave for Australia. Uh, <laughs> I'm so like, I'm watching this, and like Casey's getting on the plane. I'm like, oh crap! <laughs> it's like, what does this mean for the calendars? <laughs> Maybe he'll have some tips so, for us. Tips yeah. or any of that stuff. So yeah, yeah he's he's going to. Uh, I think he's headed to Sydney, and then he's headed up to Alice Springs. Um, of course, he wants to see Bread Live so. in the wild. So uh, yeah. wish him the best of sure. luck there. But uh, there should be no issues with getting it out right. You know, uh, I think it's a pretty decent turnaround time. So you should have him right in time for uh, for the beginning of the new year. So if you want to prepay, uh, you know, hit me up. Send me a message. Um, my uh, PayPal is burkefilla at gmail.com. I'll spell that real quick. B-U-R-K-E-P-H-I-L-A at gmail.com. Uh, and what we're doing basically is 15 shipped within the U.S., 20 shipped outside of the U.S. So um, be sure if you're going to PayPal me, um, just uh, be sure to include your address and your name. Um, so, you know, because obviously Burkefilla is not my name. I don't want to send it to Burke Villa at somebody's address. So just put your name and, 
and uh, we'll get it out to you. Um, I think this is probably the best calendar yet. I think, in my opinion, the the the, uh, the picks are, are really on point. So, um, so yeah, uh, MoreliaPythonRadio.com is our website, and our email is info at MoreliaPythonRadio.com. As far as myself, uh, I can be found at ebmorelia.com. My email is Eric at ebmorelia.com. Um, you can find me all over the place, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, et cetera. That's all I got. Cool. Go ahead, Rob. Uh, and then I'll yeah, close it. I, I will close out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I mean, same continuation from when I was on here before, you know, I'm really digging the Instagram thing. I think it's cool that you can, you know, just put up and see lots of cool pictures without having to see a bunch of, uh, stuff that either just, you know, angries up the blood or irritates you or, isn't interesting. So High Plains Herp uh, on Instagram. Still doing the Herp history thing. I saw Omac put up uh, the little mangroves. I love that. So yeah. do some more of that. And, <laughs> you know, Eric, put up some more pictures and stuff, you know. Yeah, Everyone Eric. join in because it's, it's super cool. What to, the hell are you, you talking know, about? I know oh, Herp history? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Under hashtag Herp yeah, history? Put up stuff, oh. you know? Yeah. Oh, it's hashtag about to get history, real now, yeah. bro. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I like it, man. I'm not, uh, you know, just like you, Eric, you know, be the change you want in the world, right? You know, this is something I'd love to see. I love seeing everything that everyone else posts. I know, uh, I know Port City folks have put up a post there too with some sort of uh, Central American iguana and all this stuff. So, yeah, I mean, you know, everyone should participate in that because I'm not doing it to show my own stuff. I want to, you know, encourage folks to do it themselves so I can just go on there and scroll picture after picture. Cool. I'm going to put hashtag herp history, hashtag ready to play. (laughs) Love it, man. Love it. (laughs) Awesome. You know, and and it's funny because I was messaging Rob earlier this week because I went out and I did another um, insane Colubrid binge. Um, And I'm like, Rob, how hard are these? And they were my black copper rat snakes. And he goes, they're a pretty calm species. And like, as I'm reading that, one of them just starts <laughs> chewing on me. And I'm like, that's, well, that's not right. <laughs> so it's like, you know. <laughs> so, In your world, well, I was just saying relatively. The radiated band, those are going to be a nightmare. They are. Oh, my God. Yeah. They're twitchy and hilarious. And yeah. I love them. <laughs> so, it's, you know, it, they're, no, they're, they're very cool. Great choices for you, man. They are. Oh, they're, yeah. They're awesome and fun, but. You know, they are, those certainly have a solid rep, you know. I don't know if they're considered worse than the Carinata, but, yeah, both of those are, you know, considered to have that reputation, which just means you'll love them all the more. So it's a great thing. I know. Well, I got the copper black set up, and I and I, I keep, like, catching them as they're moving around their enclosure. So it's very cool. I have no idea how I'm going to feed them because I'm, I've got to find them to feed them. So it's going to get interesting, but uh, I'm excited. I like this kind of cool, rarely produced kind of shit. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's something I think, you know, we're talking less than, you know, less than a handful of those clutches of those have been made in the U S man. So everybody, really, you know, you'll have done something for sure. I would probably drop feed those either start with live or then drop feed them. I don't think you yeah. want to be. They're probably not going to react well to songs. That's what I think. Yes. So. All right, we'll have fun with that, and I'll let you guys know. Anyway, uh, for me, you can go to rogue-reptiles.com. It is still in the process of being updated, but the for sale page is currently up to date. You can also go to facebook.com and look up rogue reptiles. Give us a like. 
all the animals that we have for sale are there as well as any updates on the breeding season, which is well underway. I've already paired the Womas, the White Lips, the Olives, the Water Pythons, and uh, I think that's it so far. Um, and uh, we'll see how all that stuff goes. Uh, like I said, I do have a show that I'm vending this Saturday. It's at the Oaks uh, Greater Philadelphia Expo Center. Uh, if you're around, come by, say hi. Definitely want to talk shop. Uh, other than that, uh, thank you all for listening, and we're going to catch everybody back here next week at the correct time for some more <laughs> Morelia Python Radio. Have a good day. <laughs> That's all I got. <laughs> oh, Lord.